Welcome to episode 293 of Texting, hosted by myself, Justin Vincent, and Jason Roberts. On today's show, we have once again the guest, mm. Phil Amon, the, the, the only guest. And uh, we are recording the show from Phil's um, apartment. Jason's sitting on the big chair with the bare skin. He always claims he, that chair. He's looking at his my... phone in a very grumpy manner. I helped carry this chair <laughs> all the way from the That's point right. of purchase. Therefore, I claimed it's mine whenever I visit. <laughs> we must take a picture of that chair and put it yeah. on the site. Yep. So. So what you got for us this week? Well, you know what? I, it's always me. But I'm, I want to start with you. No, he's generous want... today. <laughs> I want to start well, with yeah, you. What, no, what, wait, 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 wait. Oh, nice no, no. generosity. What's this, it's this a just, setup? It's just, it's just want to. I just want to hear what you have to say about the stuff that you've got going on because I've we haven't Not. spoken for a while as friends, <laughs> okay. and I'm very interested to hear how um, how Catalyst is going. Catalyst hasn't been gone for two yeah. years. I was going to so say Catalyst. Oh. I don't know what you're talking Math about. <laughs> <laughs> Even I know that. <laughs> My catalyst. Yeah, that's during. a blast in the past. Math Academy. See, this is all deflection technique. I know. Justin has no links. Well, no, he has something he doesn't want to talk about. <laughs> no, so I've got a bunch of links. Oh, yeah, because you have your news open on your on your computer. Uh, my links. I've got. I've got. I've got links. Yeah. Currently, number one on Hacker News. <laughs> <laughs> Look, the links that I get, I collect during the time that we are not together. So it's mm. not like I just open up Hacker News and. And gather them last minute. Exactly. That's a really good um, impersonation of me, by the way. No. Yeah. I'm going to be trying because I got I got mediocre reviews last time on my. It was close to him, so I'll keep I'll keep hacking on it. Yeah. Persistence wins. Keep hacking. A lot of good comments last time around. All right, so let's get into it. What are we going to talk about? Catalyst. Catalyst. <laughs> Math, Academy. Catalyst. <laughs> Math Academy. What do you want to know? I want to know how it's going. Last time I was in Puyo Loco with you two days ago, and I said, how's, how's Math Academy going? And you're saying, I don't want to talk about it until we do the show. Well, I mean, you asked me after we, we spent <laughs> so an, now I'm asking you. We spent an hour talking about your life, and you were walking outside. I'm like, what, am I going to send this up in 30 seconds? No, what's the point? All right. Um, so let's go. Well, there's, you know, the, there's my class, and then there's the program, the pilot program, the district program, right? And the software. And the software, so it's three sort of, sort of semi-separate interrelated things. Um, so my class is going well. Um, you know, we got our super late start, right? We didn't get going until Christmas, which um, kind of put us behind the eight ball considering what I wanted to try and accomplish. But, um, you know, the, we've done what? How long has it been? What, uh, almost two months of classes, I guess? Feels like two. Yeah, about two months. And... Um, covered a lot of ground. I mean, my goal for the year was to cover pre-calculus, which is like, which essentially wraps up all the, you know, advanced algebra, trig, matrices, vectors, polar coordinates, just all a collection of all kind of um, sort of semi-advanced topics. So, and we're making, we're, we've covered a lot. I mean, already we've covered, you know, logarithms, complex numbers, I mean, logarithmic equations, solving logarithmic and exponential equations, complex numbers, matrix algebra, um, vectors, cross and dot product, that kind of stuff. But I'm also teaching, the more ambitious thing that I'm teaching them is, uh, is the standard introduction to proofs course, mm -hmm. which uh, is very, I mean, I'm using, I have, you know, whatever, like half a dozen books on the subject that are used at different universities around the country. Um, traditionally, it's taught, I guess, to sophomores. Sometimes to freshmen, it really depends on the university. I mean, if you show up at Harvard or 
Princeton or something, it's going to be taught earlier than if you if you're taught at a at a, at a state school. I mean, the people who usually come in there are, are much more advanced. Um, and sometimes they won't even teach it; they just throw you to the wolves, kind of like what happened to Phil and I at Chicago. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, I, I think I mentioned before, I, I I have breakfast periodically with the chairman of the math department at Azusa Pacific University, and he teaches it to sophomores, juniors. It's the kind of thing they take after calculus mm-hmm. and differential equations, and it's the instruction proofs is. Set, gives them the tools that they need to be able to do proof-oriented math, which is what math is like beyond that sort of level. And uh, it's going really well. I mean, mm-hmm. um, so we've been doing, last couple of weeks, we've been covering... Um, is Colby still loving it? Uh, yeah, I think he likes it. Yeah, he likes it. See, it's really funny. He, he hates... He hates them the system when he gets a problem wrong on the system because the system you have to get three in a row correct of a particular topic for yeah. the system to to say right you're you've done enough of this now on to the next one. Um, so he gets he's really pissed. Like he's just <laughs> man, what is this boy? You know, <laughs> he gets, and nice. he, he he kind of so it's a little frustrating to listen to because he tries to do everything in his head. Yeah, you know, and I'll be like, out. "Dude, what are you doing? This is like a seven-step problem. Like, you mm. can't, you can't, or like these. Like, we were doing these, lo- um, you know, these uh, teaching them logic, basically mathematical logic, um, and equivalence between different logical statements and things like that. And you know, you can have this very complex logical construct, and how can you decompose it or negate it and do all these sorts of things? And it's really, really hard to just look at it and, and do it. You really need to, you know, go through a series of steps, create these truth tables and stuff. So it's kind of fun. So he tries to do it. And I'm like, all right, Kobe, so I'll tell you what, you keep trying to do that. <laughs> and when you decide you want to actually make progress, you let me know. Because I'll, I'll help you out. Like, I'll, you know. But he just, uh, you know, so anyway, there's always a little bit of that, which makes it a little frustrating. But he likes it. I mean, he really likes the class. Um, and the software, is it still, it's still holding up? Yeah. Um, you know, I haven't been working on the software as, as much lately. I've been working more on the content. Um, because I got the software to a point where it did what it needed to do. Yeah. You know, sort of the MVP, I guess. I mean, I have all these ideas and things that I want to do with I want it to be able to do, and I think it should be able to do. But, you know, I, I, I assign homework every single night or every single week. Uh, there's a, actually, there's something due every single weekday, mm-hmm. even though we only have class on Tuesday through Thursday, mm. um, because I want to spread it out. And also, it's better for learning than to try and cram it all into one night, um, especially since I use that spaced memorization kind of yeah. tactic, you know. And um, so... What that means is like I am five five days a week. I'm creating an entire lesson that I have to write up, plus a whole bunch of questions and a whole bunch of solutions. Sometimes mm-hmm. it's between ten and twenty or thirty questions with sprint out solutions. So that takes a ton of time. How so long? How long does it take a day? Two to four hours. Wow. I mean, it's like writing a textbook in real time. It's like okay, this is work coming next week. Okay, now I got to write this. You know, this whole section of the textbook, a couple pages, and do all the worked out problems and, and everything. And then, of course, I need to do the little research. I need to figure out, okay, well, you know, which, what should I cover? And let's take, let's take a look at five or six different books and see how, different ways of explaining it, what I like best. And Do you still have the same level of madness, or has that changed oh, yeah. in any way? Absolutely. You yeah. have the madness, but it's, it's, it shifts from component to component of this large thing that you're Yeah, I, what, I, what I just mean is that you know, my time is focused on the content because by necessity. 
You know, I mean, if That's the system works well enough and there's just have these what and wouldn't it be neat if kind of features, but then it's like, we, the kids can't have, we can't do a lesson tomorrow unless there's no homework yeah. unless I write this stuff up. And then I, you know, burn, you know, however many hours doing that. And it's like, well, I actually have work to do and other stuff, you know, so I can't spend my entire it's ironic that it. next year that, that you won't have to do, if you, if you were teaching the same level kids, you wouldn't have to do any more work next year, right? Yeah, except right. I won't be. <laughs> yeah, I know, exactly. <laughs> yeah, so you're always going to be leading, and, but, but, but yeah. other classes can do that, that work that you've done. Right, right. And I figure, you, you know, and then I'll, I'll want to come back to it and, and, and things. And, and um, I have some other things I want to talk about uh, related to stuff that Phil's doing that's, um, we can get into that later. But uh, Is Phil working with you on the project? No. Oh, right, okay. I'm his spirit guide. Right. I think, is that my official title? <laughs> my spirit I, I, we sit and we talk about it a lot but no I, i'm not involved in any other way than just yeah because he said he asked around. you how many months have we been going and then you said oh two months and i was like well because we, oh, we've been you talking must have about been, it yeah there must yeah. be some connection Phil, oh yeah there. Phil and i eat lunch yeah. probably four to four yeah. well i mean well if we count on weekends we probably five to six days a week we have lunch yeah. and we oh. work out probably and we don't always talk about you justin despite the fact that you only probably on think we tuesdays do. thursdays and saturdays yeah. we talk to <laughs> That's really sweet. Yes. So you guys have lunch five days a week and you work out. And I don't want everybody to think that we eat out lunch, meaning we go to different places. We actually eat at the same place. It's Pollo Loco. Pollo Loco. So really, if I, if I wanted to join in to your little kind <laughs> you of gotta go to game, Loco. I would just go to Pollo Loco at 12.30 every You'd day. You'd probably see us there. Probably see you there. All right. So, <laughs> so, so anyway, back, let me just, just tell you about this. So yeah. assuming you want to know. I do. All right. So... Um, so we have what? So we have March, April, May left. Mm-hmm. So three more months. And, my, you know, and I think we should probably be able to hit, I think I should be able to get them through both pre-calculus and the intro to proofs course, which is still quite, it's quite a bit. But, um, but the kids love it. I mean, they're, uh, they're learning a ton. Um, is the leaderboard work. working nicely? Yeah, you know, I'm not sure all kids care that much about it. They probably care about yeah. it to different degrees. I mean, Colby's competitive, so he looks at it. Yeah. Um, some kids I think are just, it's just not their personality. So they're just whatever, you know? Um, and I'm, I'm looking at different ways to like motivate them to, to increase their accuracy. So it's not really the gamification that's getting them to do it then. It's just, it's homework. It's just home. It's just, it's like, you know, you have to do homework done tomorrow. I get, I can tell if you've done your homework. Yeah. And it'll tell me what percentage completion you are. If you come in and I'm like, you're percent I'm like, so David, what, what happened? You're only seven. I'm like, get it done. (laughs) <laughs> right? I mean, that's really what I say, right? Because you cannot start the next assignment until you finish the previous assignment. So there's no getting around anything. When you there's sign no up skip. with uh, Daily Burn, you, you, they give you this wizard and they say, what kind of person do you want to work with? Do you want to work with a drill sergeant? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to work with like a lovey-dovey kind of person? You're the drill sergeant. I'm a drill sergeant. I don't <laughs> give a damn. Like, get it done. Get it done. You know? Right. I mean, we actually had one kid dropped from the course mm. because, you know, she was not um, getting mm. assignments done. You right, know? right. And every couple of weeks I have to um, send an update to the principal just to let them know how things are going, give them an update on the kids or whatever. And How are the so, eighth graders who came in? Did well, you, say, well, it was one of the eighth graders who, oh, who okay. got dropped right. because she got behind four or five lessons. And then and I was, you know, I was like, listen, you know, this class was made for you, for kids just like you. You need to be in this class. Right. But you have to do the work. Yeah. You know, you cannot sit back and just, you know, math is not a, not a, you know, it's a participation sport. And, right. uh, you know, and, and she was getting more and more lost and confused. And I'm like, well, you know, all right. And then she, and then finally she got caught up. The principal talked to her 
she got warned, she got caught up, and then she fell behind again. And I, you know, I, in my update, I was like, well, you know, she's behind again, four or five. And they're like, all right, that's it. Okay. Hmm. But, you know, that's it. Like, it's like you can't say you want to be on the basketball team and then not show up to practice or whatever, you know? It's like, you know. It's just right. part sense. of it because it holds the other kids behind, down, uh, you know, behind either, either, either I do one of two things. Either I completely ignore you because I know you're not even remotely caught up or I spend a lot of time trying to help you get caught Catch up. The other kids are getting bored. At the other, at everyone else's expense. Yeah. And then, and then middle school kids are not good at being bored. They don't just right. sit quietly and patiently and they're just like, ah, you know, <laughs> <laughs> especially my sixth graders. Um, they just have no patience. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, they're, I think they're uh, I think they're excited about it you know I think they are challenged by it and I'm super excited about it I think it's I think it's going to be if we get it through this year and this year and we've covered what I what I'm trying to cover it'll it'll really be something so then there's the math academy the district wide yeah thing um so um I you know I've been talking with the um the superintendent about it directly. He and I are sort of, you know, working on this together and it's taken so long to get, you know, the instructors, we were going to use these college age instructors to do it. And we're going through this whole process of hiring and vetting and interviewing and then getting their, you know, and if you work for a school district, I think it's like a state role. They have to get their fingerprints sent down to the justice department. And it's a big deal, right? And that just takes a lot of time. And we got started in this stuff really late. And then we also, and then the district decided that we needed a credentialed teacher in the room teaching and instructing. And the person that they had in mind to, to, to do that was just, was not going to be um, available. So, and I was talking to the superintendent about it and he's like, well, what do you, what do you think we should do? Do you think it's still worth doing? And I'm like, you know, at this point, I don't think so. I mean, we're going to have like a two, two, two for two months. But What's so would you go back to it next year? Yeah. So I think the plan, I mean, I'm, I'm meeting with him. We're going to have a meeting on Tuesday, I think, or Friday. I don't know. We're meeting this week and we're going to talk about the, the, the larger vision and the plan. And, and the goal is we're going to try and hire the exact person we want. Okay. And I'm going to be hopefully be much more directly involved in that process. And then we will start at the beginning of the school year. And, but rather than running at a bunch of schools, we might just run it at like two and teach fourth, fifth, and sixth grade and uh, really get this thing dialed in. Because Keep it small, yeah. The problem is that when you get to a lot of schools and you don't have direct control of what's going on and it's it's just harder it's to manage. It's classic premature scaling, right? Yeah, it's harder, yeah. It's harder yeah. to manage. So um, so two schools would give us would give us a little bit of, you know, a little more scale than just at one school, but... You know, we'll see. So that, so that, that's the, that's the way the math caddy, that's where it stands right mm, now. Cool. But what's interesting though, is like, I keep meeting people who are in the district and have heard about it and are really excited about it. So the, the executive director of the Pasadena Education Network, which is sort of like, um, it's like a super PTA for that raises a lot of money for the district. This isn't PEF, which I've talked about, which they're already big supporters of this and are involved, but she just came up to me the other day and she's like, oh, I've heard so much about you and about this thing. I, and, so she, and so I said, hey, we'll come visit a class if she's coming on Wednesday. Mm. And then I met another board member or so uh, from the, the board of the school district who wants to come by. So I'm getting a lot of people who are just generally enthusiastic. And then when they get a chance to, you know, meet me personally and really hear, hear about it, they get really excited. Mm. And so I think building a coalition of support and enthusiasm, you know, from different 
power players in the district is going to be helpful. You know, because anytime you try and make changes in a, in a bureaucratic organization, there's going to be resistance. Bleep. Bleep. Unfortunately, uh, we lost about the last 10 minutes of conversation because the SD card ended up being full and we just noticed that uh, it was lost. And that was entirely my fault. And I, I'll, I'll fall on my sword for it. I take the blame. But uh, we, 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 will try and, we will try and do a very quick review of that um, just... Now. It was unbelievable, Jason. I mean, it was, it was flawless. It might have been. I the was best, in tears. It might have been those, the best those, thing that Jason. I ever really, said. I was, I was sitting here slack jaw, just like this is unbelievable. Yeah. Thank God we're recording this for posterity, and then it I just it failed. So lost. no pressure on you, Jason. But see if you can do Alrighty. another another version of um, it. So you know, Saint and I coached the fourth and fifth grade math team in the last couple of years. Fourth grade two years ago, fifth grade last year, and the vice principal asked, who's, who's sort of in charge of the math team stuff, um, asked if Sadie and I would coach for the fifth grade team because they want to kind of spread, give um, another math teacher an opportunity to teach these kids, hmm. the middle school kids. And I think, I think the teacher's a middle school math teacher, and um, I think she had heard a lot about how good some of these kids were and, was, of course, wanted to have an opportunity to coach them. <laughs> but what I discovered was that only one kid was showing up to math team practice and it was none of the math academy kids <laughs> so they just apparently didn't know about it so i uh so i, I get a you know I, I get an email from the vice principal and he says hey listen um would you mind just taking it over because only one kid's showing up and and she's not that interested maybe you could teach it during one of your classes during during the week and i thought well i really don't want to lose i really don't want to spend one day a week for the next five weeks doing preparation for this for this competition because I'm gonna lose five teaching days and I already lost four months pretty much in the fall yeah. so um uh we're gonna do it I, I think we're probably gonna do it on Fridays or something but we're already coaching the fourth and fifth grade math team um which they'd asked us to do um so now we're teaching math class or math team math team fourth and fifth grade Monday Friday probably will be the middle school math team and then the during the week is our math academy <laughs> class yeah so it's, it's a, it's a Just lot a bit it's a lot <laughs> But um, I'm I'm not I'm not as uh, I mean I want I, you know it's it's good to do well like the fourth and fifth graders it'll be fun to go out and, and and do well in the competition because this is the level of math they're doing my kids you know they're doing pre calculus and proof oriented math and then go back and say okay you know we're gonna do word problems with like fractions and decimals I mean it's sort of like who can write the best sentence explaining why one fraction multiplied by another equals something you know it's, it's kind of <laughs> whatever yeah. it's like um, boring for them right yeah they're just you know it's boring for them but i mean hopefully we should go and, and do well and, and anytime you can go do well for the school and win some medals and maybe go on to county that's that reflects well on the administration and you know right and that, and that never hurts right are you using um the software to train them the math team yeah or just no. the cards that you did last time? No, 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 no. I'm not doing anything. We're, I mean, it'll probably just be because we have five weeks. It's one day a week, so it's really not that much okay. time. I yeah. mean, we're we're gonna get right into like we're gonna just cover up a couple of holes and things that they need to know, some math skills that they need, have to have for the competition, and then we're gonna go right into like, okay, these are the kind of problems you're gonna answer. I'd be asked. This is how you work to do it. This is how you work together as a team. You're being graded on collaboration. You're being graded on explanation. You know, and like we're really just kind of prepped for the competition. So, are you farming these kids for uh, Math Academy next year? 
Yeah, well, that's that was sort of the pitch from the from the vice principal. It was like, hey, you know, these you know kids that you might do for math academy, and I'm like, yeah, that's I'm I'm always fine with it. I was I was from the start like I'll do those and the are my kids, but um, so yeah, we'll see how it goes. I nice. mean, it's 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 obviously a lot less work and a lot less stressful than you know. Well, I would say it's I don't mean stressful. It's a lot less work than teaching the math academy class, right? I mean, teaching word problems with fractions and percents and decimals is not, I don't have to think about it. I just go and go, okay, let's make up some problems and do them. Um, but uh, it, it'll, it'll, it'll be fun. It'll be fun. So the thing I wanted to talk, oh, I, wish, I can't remember you were asking a question. This is what I, it was a nice segue. Phil, Phil had mentioned um, that he was thinking about getting a tempurpedic bed. And I, I, I brought it up with Sandy because Sandy has been complaining about our bed for like 15 years. <laughs> and she's got this, I tease her as being like a princess in the pea, you know, it's like, well, I, she's just uncomfortable in this. I don't know. It to but they really are mattress. better. It's I've, not really princess in the pea. I mean, it's an incredible difference. Do you have it yet? Do you have you no, put one yet? But mm. I, I decided when I got my bed here, when I moved to LA that I would save some money, yeah. which I think you should do. You know, you should always look for value. Yeah. So some things I bought sort of in the middle of the road, I did that with my mattress. Mm. And I can tell you, don't save money on a mattress. Mattress or a chair. Don't save money there. You can save money on some of your pots and pans, maybe your television, mm. like buy the older model from last year, save a couple hundred bucks. But a re- like a really nice bed is an investment. I think they, that's the cliche. You're investing, but it <laughs> you're investing really, in your back and your back and your but sleep. It's, it makes a huge difference. I mean, it really, really does. Well, good quality of sleep is related to stress levels, right? People who sleep well have much lower stress levels, and sure. as we know, people who have lower stress levels have are much healthier. A lot of a lot of people who have high stress levels die sooner. Yeah. And they have all kind of other physical problems. So you could say. Investing in a good bed is investing in your health. It is. I didn't read the article, but I saw an article in Hacker News that said quality of sleep quality improve. improves, uh, you know, cognition, mental, Absolutely. mental functions. Well, I, could, I, could, I was, I was been a, a test of that because I have a lot of trouble sleeping in my apartment for a number of reasons, not just because I have a bad. Is it the noise as well? It's out there? the noise. Yeah. It's the light. The neighbors. It, right. Well, it's the, na- he has noise no, the neighbors. I have noise from every no, direction. It, so he lives. So for, because the listeners obviously don't know where we are, we're in the center of old Pasadena, which has mm-hmm. a lot of restaurants and bars and clubs yeah. and stuff. And Phil lives in a loft right the second floor, right off one of the main streets. And, and the side street that it's on has a lot of restaurants and bars. And I think it has a bar right under it you. It has a much. bar that is technically called the speakeasy, but it's really like a club. So it, it parties until two. What, so you can hear like the... Yeah, you can on some nights. And believe me, there are karaoke nights too. I know. And there are people who always go there for their birthdays. So there's always like drunk renditions. What about earplugs? Well, I don't... You know, that um, just bothers me. Like that, having that. Yeah. yeah. But uh, I've done the white noise machine, the melatonin tablets, the the blackout curtains. Because I have a lot of light coming in. It's another problem. Yeah, uh, never gets dark in here, and the temperature varies. Well, a lot. he's he he he. So he he has he's been really unlucky. It's a perfect storm. He's been unlucky with some really bad yeah. loud neighbors who just are up blasting music and yeah. partying till two or four in the morning. It's he just said, thin walls because this building wasn't built. It was a, originally a commercial loft. Right, before. they didn't build yeah, it. Yeah, they didn't build it with all the sound insulation. That what you about like headphones? Oh, well, the headphones you can't sleep with headphones. Can't on. sleep, but I do the white noise. That helps. Yeah, um, what white noise? White noise machine. You do. 
on my app. Yeah, I have an app that. Okay. Well, he and he and there's been just a lot of incidents where just like people scream. I come out of the clubs at two in the morning, two three in the morning. Two women getting in a fight, a guy and a just girl screaming. It just, it just Police all kind coming. of stuff. Yeah. So I pick him up for lunch. We have a sort of routine. I'll sleep by and pick up for lunch. And he has this look in his eyes. Damn it! Like another bad night of sleep. Like he's just been. He's like had like two so months. So his, his just, like mental functions gone downhill. Yes. Since, yeah. since well, yeah, you can see people haven't had enough sleep and they're just kind of in a bad mood and yeah. just you can tell they're not. It depends on what yeah. you're doing. Like if I were to answer that scientifically, I would say it depends on what function. So if I want to learn or be creative or use sort of the higher quote unquote mental tasks, then I'm going to be really bad at it. But if I'm doing rote things, like things I already have well understood, you know, like that turning like a crank on something, <laughs> like the simplest thing, then I probably won't see any deterioration in, in function. But you know, my life right now, I don't, I do. I try to do creative things, and I'm just so tired that I got a nap. It's brutal. I've had, like we've been working with a modern teacher on rebuild. You know, recreating the product from the ground up, designing it, wireframing mm-hmm. it, which is all incredibly creative. And I found that so difficult living in a house. We're basically working from home with a kid in the house with the distractions. Two kids. Or the, the two. Well, two kids now. Yeah, two kids. Yeah, yeah, they got a whole. Now it's more distracting, right? That's it's it's it is super distracting. Mm-hmm. It's like. Wow. Um, and coding's kind of easy because you can block stuff out. It's just like a technical challenge. You know what right. you're going to do, unless you're doing some deep ar- architecture. But actually designing is really hard. You know, yeah, it's so intensive. Or, or thought intensive. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you're getting to bed. Sandy's yeah, one well, there so 15 I years later. Sandy, and I, said, I mentioned to her um, about the about the Tempur-Pedic, and, and she's like, oh, she's like, you know, she's like, oh, I just want one so badly. And I'm like, well, why don't you just buy, buy one? You know, because we haven't, we haven't had the uh, ability financially to buy a you know, yeah. $1,500 or $2,000 bed. It just was not in the budget. And, and uh, you know, it's always those things like, well, once we have a little more money, maybe we could, you know. Did you get things. it yet? And so well, I told her, I said, look, I said, well, just buy it. Like, you know, we can afford it now. Just go yeah. buy it. And she's like, really? I'm like, yeah, just buy it. And I'm like, well, just go and research. And, look. and she's like, oh, I already know. <laughs> she like she like pulls out her file, you know. Like oh, I've, I know she's, she's researched all these different brands. So she's one of the problems with the Tempur-Pedic though, is that they, it's hot. Like it 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 it, it apparently retains the body heat. Um, you know, you get a pillow, and after you let it for a while, it's like oh, the pillow's yeah. hot. And you're just like, huh, you know. And I'm sensitive to that. So Sandy, like for not too long ago, maybe a month or two months ago, Sandy said hey do you think what do you think about buying some flannel sheets and i didn't think too hard about it. i'm like i don't know if you want fun i don't care she got it and i laid down i was like oh hell no like immediately like hot you know it didn't have that nice cool feeling yeah when you're on and you can lie your head down it was just, it was like that hot feeling like after mm-hmm. you land on a pillow for a long time you're yeah just like, Ugh. Too much. and i was like I, I i i cannot do this this is this is this is hell and i'm like well you know if you if you want to keep your pillow or <laughs> half and half but there's no way i can sleep in a flannel bed and so anyway, she goes, we were talking about the bed. She's like, I've done some research and I found this other brand. Sleep number? I don't know what it is, but it has, it has like, it's like a Tempur-Pedic, like the, that foam, you know, what was it called? That, the, I don't know, whatever. I don't it's know. like a body. Memory foam. Memory foam? Yeah. Yeah. And, but it has this gel insert, this thick gel insert that's the stuff they use in burn wards that keeps seeing really oh, cool right. yeah, yeah, I, know yeah. This, I know the thing yeah and the i don't know the brand it was like something in loom feather and loom or something like that and it was actually cheaper than the tempur-pedic because they don't have showrooms and they don't spend as much on advertising as what sandy said but it got incredibly 
good reviews across the board and from like, you know, these, these professional reviewers, you know, like yeah. a consumer reports mm-hmm. kind of thing. And so, um, she's like, let's get that. That will have, it'll be the memory phone. Plus it'll be the cool stuff. And, and I said, and I said, well, cause I was, first I was like, well, can we go and like do a showroom and test it out? She's like, well, they don't have those. I'm like, well, what the hell? Did and, you, do, do you already have it at the house? No. Well, so she said they have a 70 day, I think oh, it was yeah, a 70 yeah. day return uh, yeah. policy with no, you know, full money back. So I'm like, all right, fine. Like we get it. And if it sucks for the reason, um, so it, it's, it's supposed to be in with like another week or so. Great. So anyway, so after she bought that, she's like super excited, right? Cause this is, <laughs> this is a big deal for her. What else can I buy? Well, she goes, she's like, well, is there anything big that you want? You know, cause if she's going to go out and spend whatever $1,500 on this, you know, I think she's like, you know, if it'd be fair for me to do something that I really want. And I was like, honestly, I don't want anything. I said, you know what I want? I, I just want to be left alone, <laughs> my books and my computer. Like, I don't, I don't need stuff. Mm. What I don't want are obligations to do stuff that I don't want to do, you know? And that's all, all that I'm always trying to buy is freedom for myself. I mean, I, knew, I want to buy, I want enough, you know, financial, you know, independence or strength or whatever so that I can pay for the things that my family needs and my kids need and my wife needs to make them happy. But me personally, I don't, I don't need a lot. And, uh, but, but the problem is that when you buy stuff, you know, first of all, you know, to, to make enough money to buy these things, now you have to do thing, more stuff that you don't want to do. Consulting work, whatever. I mean, so you don't get to do the things that you want to do. And the things that I want to do require time and, and mental freedom. Right. So if I have to spend time thinking about some, what some client wants, and that's just, that's lack of freedom. So know? I was telling you guys that we just moved house. Um, mm-hmm. We moved from the Rose Bowl up to Altadena. You would say it was up, right? Oh, okay, good. Let's just oh, check okay. Oh, can I just finish one thing saying so? Oh, yeah, sure. oh, yeah, this yeah, whole yeah. Thing yeah. Up? yeah. So you were asking about the madness. Like, I just wanted to be able to do this Math Academy stuff. Oh, right. Yeah. Like, I don't want to like, oh, I want all this stuff. And now I have to do more consulting work so that I can have this thing. It's like, I don't need that crap. I just want to have money to buy whatever books I want. And I just want time. And, and I want to be free of obligation. You know, are you buying books for the math for the math academy then and like using them to create the courses that you're doing? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I well, you know, obviously I've been sort of frugal about it. You know, it's like I'm always guilty, like oh, there's $70 worth of books, you know, that I'll buy. And but that's the only stuff that I really buy. I, I never go shopping. Yeah. I hate buying. I hate buying stuff. I hate going shopping. So say, any clothes that I have, Sandy bought for me, you know, because I just refuse to go <laughs> um, or she refused to take me because of how painful I make it because I hate yeah, it. Yeah, I could believe it. Um, so I, but recently I've, I was like, oh, like, this is a couple books. These textbooks are really expensive, college level textbooks. And there's some that I've been sort of lusting after and they're like 250, 300 bucks. And I'm still not going to pay for that, but I'll buy like a used copy for like 90 bucks. But so I've done a few, a, a little bit of that, but, but yeah, I mean, in order to teach these courses well, I think you really want a variety of textbooks to pull problems from, to, to get a variety of points of view to figure out what the I'm best kind of like that about tech like as you know you know yeah. like audio stuff but also routers I realize routers like, like r- routers, routers? <laughs> like every time we've moved into a new house I've bought a new router and this time I've like surpassed I've surpassed myself like I spent 400 bucks on a router Whoa. that basically has 12 antennas it and it's about this big and it just looks like this giant spider 
and it is incredible like this is the last router that you're ever going to need well what why what, what was the problem when you just didn't have the bandwidth because well, we have this really big house and then you it goes through things like chimneys and you have like drop spots but this thing deals with all of that it has it has three radios in it wow so it has two five gigahertz radio one 2.4 gigahertz radio and it melds them all into one one ssid right right and it it basically it each one kind of does band hopping and it it automatically flips you onto the best one of those three wherever you are in the house right and it goes half a mile you know with range anyway right um but just i wanted to talk to another point that you made there about stuff like now i don't I, I, this is just i'm just going to speak to me and my wife but we basically got um because the new house when we're moving into the new house we're moving in with my wife and her sister and her husband and their kid so we couldn't bring all of our stuff so we got a storage unit so i'm looking at this storage i'll tell you right now that's a mistake <laughs> for somebody who had a had a storage unit Buying a, a storage unit is a mistake. Let's go into I, this and I'll tell you why. Okay, okay, okay well, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. Like, this storage unit is, like, I don't know, 10 by 10. And it's completely full. Yep. Completely full. And I realized that of that entire fullness, just two little boxes are mine. <laughs> yeah. mm. Just two well, little Georgie... boxes. One is a box of memorabilia from my dad and the other one is some tech stuff. The rest of it is just, I don't know. So... <laughs> Here's, 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 and it's like 200 bucks a month. Yeah. So here's what's going to happen. You're going to hold on to that between two and four or five years, depending. And then eventually you're going to come back to it and you're like, well, and you'll, you said, realize how much money you spent. I said the same thing to, to and the exact same thing. you're going to, you're going to spend more money than if you had sold it or That's had to right. buy it new. Just giving it away and just it. It'd be better it. to buy yeah. because the reason you're putting it in storage is because you don't really need it. And if you don't really need it, it's better to just get rid of it, or get rid of it, offload it, take the cash. It's all use it for baby stuff. All the the majority of it is for a next baby. So. Okay, that makes a difference. But if it, that that might be different, was like furniture, right. things like that. So so Sandy and I did this. You know, we had one, and I don't remember how many years we had it. Probably at least two. I mean, I know a lot of people have for like decades and stuff. It yeah. weren't horrible. But here's the thing: you have this thing, and then you realize to deal with it is like this whole multi-day task oh it's nightmare and you're never nightmare. gonna have time you're gonna have your two or three days to go through it and like well you know because first of all it's boring as hell mm-hmm. like go and now you have to go rent a truck and you got to go because it's not a move-in so you don't get the truck for free anymore from the rental place right they're gonna give you the truck did they give right, you the truck right. for, you don't get it for free yeah. now it's gonna cost money and now you got to go down there and you got to pull that crap out figure what you want to do and then you'll be like and you're not going to do it all one day, so you're probably only going to do half of it, and that's going to be so painful and boring. And then you're not, and then you're put off doing the rest of it for another year and a half, two years. And then eventually, what's going to happen? You finally move. You're going to be like, you know, I'm going to do this crap anyway. That's exactly, <laughs> exactly right. I'm sure of it. Even, even the baby stuff. I'm like, look. I mean, these clothes, you know, you buy from Carter's, you buy from Babies R Us. They're like, you know, fifteen bucks for for one. She's little not going piece. to go down there. She's going to go to Target and that, get more baby clothes. That, exactly. That's exactly what's going to happen. You're not going to pull out like dank stuff that's been sitting in the storage yeah. house for a year or whatever. She might do it one time. Yeah. Just to do it, just say I did it, and it'll save you like thirty dollars. <laughs> <laughs> and she'll feel good about it and then you'll be like all right well just to kind of shut you up and to shut that nagging voice in her head that it's a waste but that's what's gonna happen yeah <laughs> and, and and the other thing is like to make matters worse it's not in an air-conditioned unit no. it's just in one of those kind of garage style ones where it's just kind of out to the elements apart from a garage well, door well you know there i read some article on this a couple years ago 
And it just, it's just, it's a huge problem across the United States because, you know, tons and tons of people have these storage units now. And that's, I mean, it's, and that's pretty much what everybody's doing. Everybody buys too much stuff, they move, they can't use it, and then they have these units, and then they can't emotionally detach from this stuff. And then they, they, and they and then, and, but they can't get rid of it, and they just have this. It's like it's like lugging around this appendage. It's like the the Evernote of life. Yeah, except the, your, there's your a cost. To, instead of being free, it takes up space. That's why I always tell Sandy whenever we buy stuff, I'm like, I think we should get rid of an equivalent amount of stuff or more before we buy stuff. It's like for Christmas, I'm like, purge. We need to purge as much as possible, because otherwise you just build up crap. And I hate, I hate stuff. I hate, I hate it. Mm. No, I don't know how you feel. Little, I'm kind of, I feel what do you think, minimalist. Phil? Are you, are you into stuff? Um, my, well, no. I mean, on the spectrum, I lean more towards the, the Spartan end. But I, I, if I have emotionally attached to anything, I'm more attached to books than anything else. So when I left Chicago, I, had, I purged a lot of stuff. And I think the sentimentality, what you're saying, that emotional link, the books were the big deal. And what I did to get through that was I wrote on a piece of paper all the names and ISBN numbers of all the books that I was getting rid of or donating. That's a good hack. I like that. It's a great hack. Because emotionally, I was like, okay, I'm not forgetting you. iTunes match. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, that's, that's that, that way you can always call that book back in your life. That's how I framed it. So my frame was, I'm not getting rid of you. You're going to go into another home. This is how you're going to cope with this stuff. Yeah. You're going into a better place. <laughs> I'm not going to put you in a box in some storage mm, area because mm. again, the the cost is the economics doesn't back. work out. But then you can always go to the library. It's it's, it's a perfect. It's, You're not it's, forgetting it. Basically, it's the same pattern as like I don't know, S caching objects in S3 or something like that. Like you've you've created some kind of software pattern to like outsource these books and turn them into thin versions. Exactly. Just pointers. You're yeah, they're po pointers. pointers. Yeah. And that really helped me get rid of a lot of stuff. It's nice. Um, and I, and the other thing too that that partly the book thing for me was was dealing with. Um, books are about the future. What do I want to be? You know, you buy books with that promise. Oh, I'm going to read it. I'm going to learn something. I'm going to learn this physics. Or I'm going to oh, learn. Yeah. And so Jason and I joke, like when I was, I don't know, it was like early, when early days, I bought this book on the large scale. Large scale structure, structure space, space time. time. It was this amazing, right? <laughs> well, we were at the Barnes and Nobles in Old Town, Old Pasadena. And Phil goes, do you think I could read this book? And I'm like, nope. yeah. <laughs> Jason's I mean, always an optimist. Sure. Sure. I can read it. Will you I understand it? <laughs> he was playing a technical word game. Uh, but but yes, I helped you can read the words. I could, you could, your eye could go over the. So After I, you got a PhD in physics. Of course. In cosmology. Then there, maybe. Yeah. There is a state of the world in which you could read this, <laughs> but you're not in it. But I viewed it as sort of an aspirational book. It's the one I bring up a lot, but I do versions of that across the board. Like, oh, I'd really like to know more anthropology. So I would buy like these Levi Strauss books. And, and so I would have them there. And every day I wake up, I'm like, there was a potential that I could do it. I wasn't doing it, but there was hope because they were on my shelf. When you get rid of it, and you throw it, take it off your shelf and you give it away or you donate it or you throw it away, you in a way closing off that hope that happen. one day you're going to get And you're admitting failure. You're admitting failure to some degree. So, so like it was really tough. I remember the day I threw out that large scale structure. It made me laugh. I had several emotions. I laughed at myself because I was being stupid thinking I could have read this. But then another part of me was like, I'm closing the door on my <laughs> physics PhD. <laughs> but it, what was the 22 year old self? That was your yeah, 22 year old self. It's amusing. Self, right? That's why I was laughing because it was so ridiculous to have gotten this book to begin with. But I think 
like we all suffer with that to a degree that we all have things we want to do. Like books really are like, oh, it's exciting. You know, I, I might want to read this one day. And and I buy, I bought too many. It's I, I just had, I had too many books to read and I just don't read that many. And so, yeah, I'm, 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 my, 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 I, the only thing that I have a lot of are books. Do you, Jason, do you get, um, do you have any like emotional bond with any, anything books. That, like stuff? He's right. Books, books for yeah. the most part. I mean, they're like old photos. There are a few things there. You know, there's some things that my kids gave me that you know, it was funny. You know how there was this article I read a couple years ago and it talked about like T the TV version of like what a home or apartment looks like versus the real version. Yeah. Like yeah. the friends or big bang theory. Yeah, they have all these yeah. interesting things around and, and like, but that's really people live in these like, um, uh, you know, vanilla cardboard apartments, you know, it's like, um, beige, the beige box. Yeah. People live in the beige box. They don't live in, you know, if you look, like if you look at the big bang theory, for instance, like they have these cute, cool little like nerdy toys and science, science fiction but things. But who does that? Colors. Who puts that all together? It takes a lot of effort and time. To, it does. To make I mean, that, it yeah. takes a design studio yeah. and, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, a huge budget and a lot of creativity. But my kids gave me a few different things. Like they gave me this, like, like this uh, toy robot from like the fifties. And they gave me like an Einstein bobblehead, you know? <laughs> and there's like a few little things like that on my desk, which I can't throw away yeah. because it represents what they think of me. Right, right. You know, this is what dad is. This is what dad likes. This is kind of what we love about dad. Yeah. And so, you know, I, you know, I can't get rid of those, but, um, for the things of mine that I've purchased personally, that I have a hard, that have a hard time getting, um, getting rid of my books. I also feel a little bit about clothes. It might be just guilt because it's like, I might wear that someday. You know, mm. you just feel bad about stuff. She's like, I haven't worn that in three years, but like. The clothes that you didn't buy? Yes. Wow. But, you know, it's just, That's there's awesome. a part of you that feels kind of, I feel guilty. I mean, I never throw it away. We always do it, give it to Goodwill. So it's not like, you know, it's like somebody will get some use out of these this shirts that I've never worn or whatever. But um, I feel a little bit of, and I, it might be more with guilt than sentimentality. sentimentality. Mm -hmm. But, um. I'm pretty, I'm pretty lean on that too. I just don't like a lot of crap. I just tend to select all delete. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'll tell you, there's that, um, when you do let go, you really do allow yourself to bring something else in. So it's partly therapeutic to kind of say, Hey, these clothes, even though you're, you haven't worn them in, here's how I get through clothes. I haven't worn it in a couple of years. I'm probably not going to wear them. Let's let's set that, you know, come to Jesus, right? Like you're just not going to deal with it. But then once you get rid of it and you've kind of done that, there's this, there's this knock on effect of like, Oh, now I can have something else in, in place of it. And, and your life evolves. I think the people who don't have a flow, who don't have things coming in and out simultaneously, they tend to stagnate. They get a bit stuck. Yeah. It, it, they get stuck. And so people think, well, I can just accumulate without, well, you know, their hack would be, well, I don't have to let anything go. I'll just keep accumulating. The problem is you become, submerged under everything i mean you've seen those hoarders yeah. Yeah. i mean at some point you've got yeah. to let things go yeah, you're absolutely right you know and my, my my new way my sort of the way that i've been thinking of, like for instance or anything but clothes in particular like if i would not pack that to go for a trip mm. a two-week trip you know almost right and assuming that was the right time of year for those clothes like summer you know mm -hmm. it's probably worth getting rid of or because uh, sandy sometimes will lay out my clothes she's like all right so we're, we're gonna go here's some clothes i stuck for you like if it's kind of i look and i go why'd you pick that out you know mm. like that means i need to get rid of it right? I'm, I'm, I'm sure i do that once every six months like just things that i just 
I know I'm not going to wear, and it really bugs me, especially because the drawer, you're, you're kind of, well, at my drawers anyway, get fuller and fuller, and they're hard to open, you know? And so I'm like, I just want the specific things that I'm going to wear, you know? Right. Which is a black t-shirt and jeans. Basically. <laughs> <laughs> that's the problem. Like, I, I, I guess Georgie introduces a bunch of new stuff, you know, yeah. that's probably different to a black t-shirt and jeans, but I've got my black t-shirt and jeans, jeans. Yeah, you like um, it. and I've got like 10 of them. Well, I've noticed I like. that sometimes you wear black jeans and sometimes you wear dark blue jeans. Right. But you always, almost Have always you wear black Have you noticed this shirt. change in shoes? Uh, you know, I haven't paid that much close that yeah. much attention. Although my brother is funny. My brother used to pay attention in high school, would always pay attention to shoes. Right. And I, I remember a few times where I'd mentioned some guy's name. He's like, oh, is that the guy who wears the, the tigers or the pumas? I'm like, I have no idea. <laughs> that is crazy. What are you? <laughs> That's funny. <laughs> he was always in the shoes and I was like, yeah. I have no idea what kind of shoes the guy wears. Well, it is kind of true. Like the things that you care about, you notice in other people. So yeah. because you're not really into the clothing world, you probably aren't really paying yeah. attention to those details. Whereas other people like girls, particularly, mm-hmm. you know, I've heard, heard them say they look at watches and shoes because those are the things that signals signals. Right. And so even at a job interview, if you go in, we're talking about sig- looking at, when the girls are talking, looking at guys. Yeah. Or like in any situation where you're kind of being evaluated, socially evaluated, like what you're wearing is sort of well, women give off a lot more signals on clothing right they 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 have like many band levels that they're evaluating each other when they're evaluating guys i think it's more often shoes right. and, and and watches and stuff right. like that There's like this few things but women it's very complex i don't think you know, we can talk about it intelligently because i think we know. would fail at it <laughs> we should try the things it. that are Three going guys. on yeah we know what women <laughs> it's, it's multi-dimensional it is multi-dimensional so so one thing that's i don't know if it's not really related to this but um I was thinking about earlier is so there's this there's this article on curiosity that I, I sent Phil mm-hmm. a couple of days ago. Um, it's kind of a long article, so it's one point even sending it to you. <laughs> I do read articles. It was a quick oh, read. My God. It was quick. Okay. So the one thing we're talking about is how uh, curiosity um, satisfying curiosity creates a, like a dopamine. Uh, to be released in your brain, right? They um, brought that up. That's more of the novelty element. The novelty, pure. So <laughs> the novelty. So, for instance, they had this one guy studies a certain type of a brown worm or something that, even though it had the right kind of bacteria all surrounding, it didn't have to move. It would still sometimes go and look for other options, like a better option, you know. And then, so they were building up from there, and like babies looking, you know, choosing novelty. And so it's like there's a sort of this probability algorithm that certain amount of probability you're going to just not seek novelty. But a lot of cases, you're always going to be, uh, uh, you know, your brain is always pushing you a little bit to seek certain novelty because of the dopamine, the positive feeling you get from having curiosity and, 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 and satisfying it. And, um, well, a couple of things. First thing I'll point out is, you know, I've always talked about that exploration versus exploitation heuristic um, is like an optimal way sometimes to like, just uh, to play a lot, to, 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 to deal with a lot of things. But, um, you know, 80% of the time you just exploit what you know how to do. At 20% of the time you just try something else. You try something new. If it fails, it fails. But sometimes you'll, you, that way you don't get stuck in a, a local maximum. And um, that sort of probability um, distribution helps humans constantly seek more learning more from learning more about the world world around them better ways to to do anything and and maybe initially this stuff reinforced is just more more likely to get the you know kind of food or escape 
you know, elements that, you know, or, or danger or whatever it is. But, you know, as humans, we've just, you know, it keeps going and going. And so the human desire to know more is like never satisfied because our brains drive us towards that and the, the, drive us to that curiosity. Is that, is that a fair, I mean, I probably missed a few and things, They made but. a lot of different points in that article. I think all of that was in there for sure. There was a couple other points I thought that they brought up that I kind of quibbled with. You always remember the things you quibble with, right? <laughs> That's how I do. Um, but they, they made, so all that was, that was there. They made some other point about like, um, why would curiosity be evolutionarily important, which you brought up um, for survival. Um, but if you think about that, from finding a local maximum and getting out of it, what's the difference between doing something wildly different, being curious about something crazily different versus something that's locally different, that's, right. that's proximity. That was a key point. That was, that was a key, key point. point. And they said that people are only curious about something they, they kind of know about. So if I kind of know about classical music, I'm pretty curious about Mozart's early life. But if I didn't know anything about classical music and say I was more of a physicist, I might be very not as curious about it because it's too far field. Well, it's like, it's like, right? it's, it's almost like there's a missing piece to your jigsaw puzzle and that's the one piece. Right, right. Like, oh, I just got to get that one piece in there. That the one thing I don't know. I feel like I know this stuff pretty well, but that's a missing thing I'd like to know about. But if it's this whole thing you don't know anything about, right? Like, well, I don't know. But see that, so there are a couple points that brought up. So it made me think, one is, is that truly the optimal strategy? If I was writing computer software to be curious for survival, I wouldn't only have it searching what it, around what it already knew. I would maybe do some wildcatting pretty far out there just in case I'm on a hill. And so I would think that from an evolutionary perspective, we should be curious about things that are really different, number one. And the second one is, I think what's driving the brain to prefer local, because I do agree with their assessment empirically that people are more curious about things that they know a little bit about. I think the reason why that isn't my intu intuition on that, which they didn't really bring up, was that there's this whole epistemological question, which is how do you learn? How do you know? How do you get new information in? If I am already know a little bit about classical music, then I have probably more authority to judge any new information that comes in as being true or false because I know a little bit about it already. Whereas if I went completely into physics and I have no I have no understanding of anything around it. I don't know if it's right or not. And so from an evolutionary perspective, it's almost like, you know, I could try something wildly different, but I have no basis on which to judge its truth. So I think, and they never brought up that, how do we know what we know? They just assumed that people could learn anything. But I bet you there are people who, when they get really out of their comfort zone of what they know, they start making mistakes at a higher rate, and that might lead to your death. Well, <laughs> and, and, yeah, exactly. And then, of course, you have the, the negative... Uh, I don't know, the anti-dopamine. You don't get a dope, you get like the negative feelings in your brain. Yeah. You know, it's kind of stressful. It's frustrating. You know, when you're, you're in a class and you get lost and it's just like one thing for another you don't understand, it's like, damn it, I'm just you, But you guys are talking about like knowledge. What about stuff that's just experiential? Like, you know, you've never tried skateboarding and then all of a sudden you go, I want to try that because well, I'm the, curious. This, they were talking about, I, I was talking more about learning, but I think you would just find that as part of learning, right? Ex experience as far as you don't know about this thing you want to try it you're learning about but, but it, right? i guess my point is is that 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 goes against that theory because when we're younger we always try things completely different you know we try skateboarding or we try cooking you know we, we try all these well, different I'm not sure things. because you're trying things that are within the cultural so that's, setting so it's within the cultural oh, well i mean you saw someone skateboarding a friend of yours and that makes it familiar to you right i mean if you if you said well you're going to try something completely Something that you've never seen anyone do. 
Well, but well, you would have seen way, it in the media, like right. so. so you, I'm not saying you're not getting base jumping, information you know, anywhere, no reason other than they just saw it. Well, usually things are an extension of what they're already doing. You know, it's like snowboarding was started. I think guys who were like surfers or skateboarders or something. Right. You know, it's kind of like mm-hmm. it's the next thing. And a lot of times you'll you'll see that in, in in science or art or anything. Everything's or literature. Everything's just like an evolution because it's, it's more successful. Thing. I mean, when you really look at an algorithm, like my dad said this back in the day, it's like the most successful people he saw in business were those that leveraged. You know, your next job should leverage about seventy to eighty percent of what you already know. And introduce twenty to thirty percent of novelty to keep you interested. Because if you only did jobs that you knew exactly how to do, then you your boredom would make you underperform. So there is a reaching element that exploitation, um, exploration mix for any new activity should. I don't know what the optimal mix is, but it's probably 60-40-70-30. Well, they talk about. There's been articles about this too on, on products that you know if something's too different, nobody likes it. Mm-hmm. Very few people like it. You know, it's it's. If you want a product to be successful, you want a movie to be successful, you want a song to be successful, it has to have a little bit of novelty, but it has to have, be very similar in a lot of ways to something you've already seen. They have some context, they have something to sort of mentally grab mm-hmm. onto. But so one thing I want to bring up is, well, there's a couple of things, but one of the things was, you know, I, I get... I always I get like once I get sort of interested about something, then I have to know it. And if mm-hmm. and so what I found is sometimes when I'm when I'm thinking about something, I just go search on the web for it. It's much more fun than going to Hacker News and then reading stuff that is just randomly brought up that is only maybe mildly interesting to me. Right? Sometimes I'll do it at a, as a reflexively. I'll just like I'm I'm bored. Or I'm not thinking. Thing I'll go to Hacker News and that's just sort of like random. Like you said, random. Okay, this looks kind of interesting, but. But a lot of times I, I just kind of like, man, like sometimes then I'll, then I'll click on a read and then I open up and I'm like, now nah, I feel like I have to read it. It's like on my to-do list. My obsessive compulsive nature means I have to read the whole damn article. And then, then it's kind of like a, a homework task. Like, oh. mm-hmm. You know, and I get like this, uh, these, these emailed lists like launch ticker, Jason Calacanis sends, mm-hmm. which is like a summary of a bunch of tech stories. And I've been thinking about just unsubscribing to it because like, you know, most of the time I'm just like, I read it because I feel like I have to, but then it's like, it's none of it's that relevant. It's not really relevant to what I'm thinking. It's not answering a question. It's not, it's not that there's existing curiosity in my brain. Like, oh, that, that's what it is, or that's what it means, or that's how, whereas if I just literally keep going down the train of things I'm interested in, mm-hmm. it's, it's, it's much more exciting. It's like, you know, that feeling like I've ordered some books. I cannot wait to get those books, you know, like it's, yeah. because it's like just a whole bunch of questions. Like, what is in that book? You know, what can I learn from that? Um, and, and I think for long-term learning, you really have to focus on things that are, within the model that you have in your head. So if you randomly read articles and then tested, say in six months, how well you remember details from these random news feeds, you're probably pretty low because you're really, you want, if you're building a model of, you know, early American history, you're gonna, and then you are reading in that area, you probably have a greater chance of retaining that information because it's anchored to something that already exists in your mind instead of a, mm-hmm. a random. But aren't you at risk of creating an echo chamber and becoming myopic? Absolutely. Well, so I so I I find it less satisfying reading, you know, say articles on Hacker News or from the Launch Ticker, or whatever. But even in this show and in a lot of other shows, there are things that I'm aware of or know about because of that. That if I had not been reading these things, reading all these thousands of articles I've read over the past few years, I would not, I don't think, have as great an understanding of the world or people or anything as I do. So it has been a benefit. It's, it's a little more work. It's like you force well, see, yourself. this is where I challenge you. 
Because you make a statement like, I know the world better, but that's an epistemological question. How much better do you know the world? It would only appear that you know it. Because it's a it's almost like someone who reads a few articles on computer science and starts forming opinions. We've all met these people, you know, and they right, well, we just talk about right now. It's like, you know, talking about curiosity, dopamine, um, you, you have do, do, dopamine secreted in your brain when curiosity, like that's something that are aware of. I mean, do we know it or do we know not? I mean, I, if I had never but it read came it in from that kind of a list, right? Yeah. I mean, these are the kind of information we've talked about. Um, um, these are the kind of things, I mean, I don't know. I mean, right. do we not, do we know it that or not? I mean, we're aware of it. We're aware of it. Well, I, mean, I think as long as I think as long as it's conscious, I think that's totally fine. I mean, you have to start somewhere. I mean, say, hey, I, I read about these things. I kind of know a little bit about something. But I think, I, I think as long as it's there's always that, um, oh, just that perspective of saying I'm new to it. Then, then I think then you can start filling in the details. Because to Justin's point earlier, if you read an article that gives you um, a point, a data point, and some science. And you just keep reading about that one data point, um, or oh, you're yeah. just well, you're talking about the cognitive biases stuff that sets in. But there's traps. Dunning Kruger. There, there's all sorts of traps around knowledge acquisition that people get caught in because they're they look at that confirmation bias and things like that. And with the internet and the way the information is organized, sort of in a loose way, you can create searches to only find things that confirm things that are wrong. And and that means that you have wrong beliefs that you're well, reinforcing. It's even worse than that because your social profile automatically brings right. stuff that There's you're interested filtering. into. Right. You. right. I think so that's it's the more the, real like, danger. Yeah, you like the internet itself is an it, echo right. chamber just right. by default. Because by the nature of how we use it. Like Amazon is, you know, every time I use Amazon, it directs me to more stuff that's similar to the stuff that I already bought, you know? I yeah, mean, yeah. Facebook. Well, all of that, that that's the whole thing about the, um, what do they call those recommendation engines? They, they're, the, the recommendation engine is premised on you will like and continue to like the things that you have liked. Whereas what we've just been talking about with curiosity is I may like these movies, but my curiosity is actually not that. It's well, something close to it, but different. But is that the reason why in stores, well, certainly there's a store in the UK called Marks and Spencers. And every three months without fail, they just jumble the entire store up. No. They do. They do. And they, they attribute like an, a percentage of extra sales to that. Because they, it stimulates people but, but, to see things that they hadn't seen you, before. You go and look you for the bacon and it's not bacon, it's cheese, you know, right. and like, and it's, it's, but it's highly irritating because you're like, where the hell is the stuff? That you know, that's to be really there? fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah. I think that's something that, you know, that was that whole thing about curating papers, you know, back in the right. day, you would read things like the Hacker News feed. It's, it's given to you to read. I mean, they've been doing it for years, so it must increase their sales. Oh, yeah. yeah. You know? Kind of crazy. Yeah. You, I look, you look like you've got something fun to talk about, Jace. Oh, uh, I don't know. Um, oh, you know, so, yeah. I, I wanted to talk a little bit in relation to learning. So if you're most curious about something that's an extension of stuff you already know, then the next topic to cover in, in, in say a subject would be something that's sort of building on stuff that you already know in some way, mm -hmm. right? You keep trying to leverage that. Now sometimes your stuff is, like in pre-calculus for instance, there's a lot of disconnected topics. You know, theory of functions doesn't have a whole lot to do with vector algebra. You know, it's kind of hard to connect some of this stuff. So you just have to jump and be like, all right, this is what we're doing. But you, you really kind of want to, to have your system <laughs> whatever you're learning um, syllabus is to kind of work on that. And it kind of works that way anyway. But I was, 
you know, but I'm, I'm, I'm going to adjust things a little bit, though. Um, so one thing that Phil has been doing is using Duolingo to learn French. Now, he, he, he made oui, us oui. promise that we weren't going to ask him to speak French, so we're not going to ask him to speak French. He's let me do it yeah. However, <laughs> I want to introduce the topic by saying that I'm, I'm fascinated with Duolingo because... What's Duolingo? It's a, it's, it's a language learning app. You can do it on, the, on, the, on, a, on, a, on your computer, on the web, or on, the, on a so mobile So it's not app. a method, it's an app. Okay. It, well, yeah, but what they do, they use a lot of the techniques of, mm -hmm. that I've been talking about for the Math Academy program, um, which is the spaced... Yeah, you know, sort of the spaced memorization type of stuff and breaking stuff into into smaller units and mm -hmm. making it very active and 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 everything. But one thing, and so I want to hear we hear from him kind of his feedback on it. But what you know, I've, one thing I've mentioned is 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 by breaking things into small topics, then you really have a granular view of what people know and don't know, and you can really, um, you know, you can spend, I, I, I you know, to, to boundary test it. If I say read these. 30 pages, then answer questions on it, and we're going to cover 15 topics. You'd be like, oh my God, like if they build on each other, they're going to be screwed because I need to like nail down that first stuff, right? I mean, if I give you the entire book, well, we're going to read the entire book of math, and then you answer questions at the end, be like, that's stupid, right? <laughs> so, what's sort of optimal, I think, is that you, is you go into really granular units, like one concept, one sort of problem type or whatever get that stuff down and then go to the next now you can sometimes and like a lot of what math books will do is they'll say well we're going to cover four or five of these little micro topics and i'll cover two or three pages and then we'll ask questions because somehow they're sort of interrelated and it makes it a little easier or more efficient to talk about them in together but it makes it a little harder sometimes to answer the questions because they do build on each other a little bit and you're sometimes confusing you know these these interrelated topics but what do one thing Duolingo does, because I was playing around with the other day, because I mentioned to Phil that it was an app, and he didn't even know it was an app because he was using it on the web. And Colby, I, I and I were out to dinner, and he downloaded it on my phone and started teaching himself Russian. <laughs> <laughs> and then Swedish, you know. <laughs> he was begging for my phone. He's like, I'm going to learn Swedish tonight. Give me your phone. I'm like, no, I, no, you're going to bed. <laughs> I want to learn Swedish tonight. But I was looking at it. Yeah, I was looking at it, and it was like really, really granular lessons. And I started thinking about them, like, like if I was delivering Math Academy over the phone, I would need to cut my topics down even yeah. further. You know, here, just this micro topic, mm. three or four sentences or one problem and then go, not three or four versions of the problem and then do it, which would be more optimal because it's more targeted, right? If, 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 because if I do a review problem set on this topic that has, like, let's say we're doing um, exponential growth and decay. There's a lot of different ways you can set those problems up. You can say, well, you have $100,000 now, you have a million, you have a million dollars 10 years from now, um, annualized interest, what's the annualized interest rate? Okay, let's say the annualized interest rate is, um, uh, you know, 6%. Um, how long is it gonna take to lose three quarters of what you have now? I mean, these are different ways of asking these, use the same equation, but you have to manipulate and think about it differently. But if I ask you a review question, I ask you that second version of the problem, and you missed that, but you got the other one, it would be inefficient to be going back over the other one. You know how to do it. Just because you missed that one doesn't mean how to do the other one. But if, but the system, if you don't, if you categorize, if you group all these problems into one topic, it doesn't know, right? Do you think you could break every single stepping stone of knowledge into, to fit on one screen? Probably most things. Like for, 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 any, for everything. Like, do you think that's the general rule? Probably pretty because, close. Because <sighs> like, even if it's something, even if the, you know, the, 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 the end result is, 
understanding the space can time continue well, because like whatever you're built no, no matter your how complex, previous step could be very complex which was based on this previous step that right, was also complex but right if you break it down to small break enough it chunks down, yeah i bet you there might be a few exceptions but every concept no matter how sophisticated is made up of other smaller co- chunks smaller it's just chunk. like computer programs very yeah, well, well i'm thinking about it as you guys are talking my initial reaction was when you said that my initial gut was definitively no right but then as you started talking and as I started thinking, I would say, realistically, anybody who learns something today, hears a lecture or reads a book, you could take that book and break it into sentence after sentence. Right. So I could read it one word at a time and just hit next lesson, next lesson. So you're getting a stream of knowledge. Mm. I don't know that's what you mean, but conceptually, it's I, like I, I just if you mean, redu- just reduce each, everything. Each stepping stone. So, so let's take, for example, you know, Mozart's like concerto or something or just being able to write something like that i mean the very first thing is a note and then the next thing is you have seven notes on a scale and mm-hmm. then the next thing is you have phrase it you know so you could like build up that way well in think about this small... way. Think in a way that every one of us all three of us understand everyone listening to this show probably understands really well computer programs could you write it make it so that no function was bigger than a screen Yes. Absolutely. Yes, that's very true. You just say, well, it might be more efficient if I didn't make this a separate function, but if I have to wrap this up in a separate function I call, then I can do it. And you could. And I think that's effectively what it is. It's like, okay, well, this concept, I, you know, maybe as an expert, I might consider this as just one concept, but I'm going to break it up into two to fit it. And, you know, and and that might just be a matter of subjective, you know, thought but i i think most cases you can't the other thing i want to point out you know how phil maybe it was like you can't so when we did our first startup here's how this would play out i go i felt you don't have an idea we need to do blah 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 he'd be like there's no way (laughs) (laughs) there's no way that no you can't do that it's impossible he was impossible and he would like this just no and i would just kind of sit there and like i was sort of not accepted i'd be like come on he'd be like and he would just put up this big fight and then we kind of wouldn't talk for a little while because he'd be, he, I'd be a little mad that he was being so resistant and he'd be a little annoyed at me for asking for something that was stupidly impossible. And then after like a little while, sometimes it'd be, be like an hour, sometimes it'd be later that day, he'd be like, you know, I've been thinking about it. That might be possible. I'm not saying we should do it or whatever, but it <laughs> might be possible to do this. And then he'd come back and he'd be like, you know what, I just actually it was actually really easy <laughs> and so then it gets this thing where every time I, I i got i expected i would just go okay here's we're just gonna play this thing out <laughs> yeah. he says no then maybe then yes and then it was easy and oh, by the way i trivia already trivial <laughs> he's just playing he's just playing hard to get well <laughs> you know what it is is that's like it's sort of you can oh i mean there's this philosophical thing like reductionism i mean you can reduce everything down i mean you're basically saying in this particular case can you reduce it i'm like philosophically yeah i can i get i agree with the sentiment but i mean practically speaking it's very very difficult to do no but but i don't i don't think that you couldn't do it so actually that i'm totally skipping over it was very funny when i would do that and i always laugh and i still do that to my to this day where my first reaction is of course you can't do it um, but it, you know, and I've noticed that in software developers, they fall into two camps, the camp of software guys who say no immediately and then get it done. Or people say yes immediately and then ultimately fail <laughs> because the people who say they can do anything tend to be big eaters. You know, they take the big project and it just becomes overwhelming. Um, I, I definitely am more of a cautious toe in and then I have to kind of think about it. But, um, and that maybe even almost shades how I think about startups because 
some people, you know, has it, they're like, what makes a great startup entrepreneur is someone who's just like, yes, yes, we can do all this stuff where I'm more like, wait a minute. Um, but then it's about result too. It's not just about just green lighting every idea and then, and then throwing it into the stands cause you can't get it on the field. Um, so well, let's hear about Duolingo. Yeah. Duolingo is really great. I encourage you. You've been anybody, doing it for how long? I've been doing it for How do you about, spell it? Uh, uh, D-U-O Lingo, L-I-N-G-O. You've been doing it for how long? Um, about three weeks now. And you've been doing it every day. You only missed one day. And so that's the thing. They, they, um, you can miss days, but, you but don't they, get... they gamify it. So right. you get um, what they call streak going. You get a two-day streak, three-day streak, and you want to kind of keep that. So the, the Duolingo is a free service that's, uh, provided, I think, I don't know all the details of how it is run, but my understanding is that it's community built and, and the forums are really a big part of it, which is really helpful. Um, languages, these are fundamental. So to the point of, am I learning how to write creatively in French? No, these are language structures, which I think break down really nicely into this. this uh, but they're really small unit. They're really small. They're really small. Nuggets. Mm -hmm. They're really small. Mm -hmm. And uh, there was a funny thing that happened because the way Duolingo works is there's really no lessons. You just start answering questions. Right. So there's inevitably, and almost every day, something will go bomb on the screen. You don't know what it means because you've never seen it before. Mm -hmm. And then you, you, know, you get it wrong or you guess it right. And um, then you hit discuss and to see if anybody said anything. And one guy had a comment. He's like, when did we learn this? And he's a little right. miffed. And then the person replied, now <laughs> nice. which is the whole point you just learned it now i mean you got it wrong but that's how you learn in an immersion scenario where you go to france you're going to learn you know the first time you hear a word you're going to hear it said to you and you won't know what it means and you're going to have to ask and you're going to have to think i think that process of immersion and and all of the things you, that you I say emergent immersion so immersion oh, immersion immerse like immersing immersion. yourself oh I, e. okay i yeah. i so when you immerse yourself in a language, the reason why they say that works really well is you're not actually formally studying it. You're not no, in a classroom. No. You're just surviving. You've got a, you've got a problem solve. You, yeah. You don't actually ever know about present tense or past tense. You're just hearing it. Just like, I've got to eat, so I've got to work right. out how to ask them. And I've had that. I, I literally, with, with Duolingo, I'll be sitting there and I'll see the words up there and I'll know what it means, but I can't necessarily tell you that this was the gender for that, mm -hmm. I just I just kind of picked it up. Th there's something unique about the human brain and language, particularly that I, that people have studied. We are language machines, so I'm not sure that language and physics, let's say, from a subject perspective, can be treated the same way ed educationally. Maybe they can be, but I think immersion with language works because our brains are naturally trying to figure it out, pattern match on the sly, so to speak, and I've noticed that it kind of works if you do it every day. So I think immersion, you have to be constantly under that stress and the brain will adapt and form those links. I have a question yeah. for you about this, which is, and I like your decision, but why French? And the reason why I asked that oh. is because Spanish is like the language Practical. that would really practically help well, you see, where we are. Okay. He's going to ask me that question and you know why? Okay. So no, cause I Jason, agree. I think learning Spanish is a waste of time. I mean, I love French, and I, I would choose French as well if I was going to learn anything more, but I'm just curious why you well, choose Spanish. Well, because, and, and, and Jason can attest to this, I've been talking about learning French for years, like yeah. bothersomely, like that. And the reason why I never did, your argument, 
I should learn Spanish. It's more practical. Oh, really? So here I am blocking (laughs) because I wanted to learn French just because I wanted to learn it. But I'm like, well, wait, if you're going to learn a language, you should learn the practical, learn Spanish. And so I did neither because I had the motivation for one and I had this sort of practical desire to do the other. I was blocking myself and I thought, you know, just do the thing you want to do and don't question it as much as you're making it. And the, the, here's how I got past that. I said, if I do learn French, that'll be easier for me to learn Spanish. So I'm kind of That's true. veering towards it. But I want to tell you something else. You, you're a foodie. And if you ever go to France, you, have you been to France? Uh, yes. Yes. There you go. I know. I love it. It's, incredible. it's so great. It's, it's, and yeah. it's, it would open up that whole world. So yeah. why don't you like to learn Spanish? I want to hear that. Well, okay. What, why is it practical? Well, I think the reason why it's practical is where we are in California, there's just, a, there's a lot of Spanish speaking people. Okay. How many times have you need to speak to someone who spoke Spanish, who didn't speak English? Almost it never. Could be, it could be <laughs> almost never. If I wasn't married, there could be a hot girl in a bar who spoke never. Spanish. Never. And never. I'm just so, saying. So here's the thing. Here's the, here's the truth. <laughs> why, is he, why is he busting me about this? Well, because it's, it's a statement that people make. You right, happen right. to make it. It's right. a perpetual wisdom, which I think is bullshit. Right. Okay. Now you he's, know, he's, yeah. It's like. He's on the hunt. Okay. It's like. The reality is that most people, unless you are in, you work in a position where you're dealing with people who can't speak English. Mm-hmm. Maybe you're a paramedic, nurse, teacher, social worker, something like that. Then it might be helpful to know Spanish. It would be helpful to know Spanish. I've got a scenario for you. Hmm. He's out at a restaurant, right? Okay. <laughs> okay. So, like Point someone, someone if there's some terrible thing is happening to a group of people. Like one person's having a heart attack or something, mm. and no one speaks Spanish except mm-hmm. for Phil. So and he's he going to spend. So the probability of that <laughs> happening with the amount of effort and the expected return is just stupid. It's, it's, it's a ridiculous spend right, waste, waste right, okay. of time. It, it so, could be French. It could so be French. I, I, I just think that if you are not working in occupation where you are in, in that, and you are regularly in that situation, it's it's not really practical. No, unless just, you're like someone's like, hey, I like to travel around right. South America. That's what right. I like to do. Right. I, you know, okay, fine. Or I work in a Spanish-speaking community for some very specific reason. But I, I also find that people say, like, because I remember a lot of people say, oh, I think you should learn Chinese. I'm like, that is a huge investment of time. Like, like I've got parents are putting their kids in like uh, Mandarin immersion programs and stuff. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of ways you can spend your time. There's a lot of things you can invest in learning. I'm not sure knowing Chinese is really going to make a big difference because most of the people you're going to run into who are, say you're doing business with, and the Chinese know English, right? And people who are translators don't make much money, period, across the board. It's not like you're making hundreds of thousands of dollars translating because a ton of people know these languages. And on top of all of this, you know, there's huge, there's been huge advances on language to language translation mm-hmm. and stuff. I mean, it'll be at a point where yeah. you're just really going to not need to know it unless it's just something like I live in this culture. I like to go to spend my summers in France and right. I just enjoy the French people and the cuisine and the countryside. And that's what I do. Mm-hmm. That makes or Italy or whatever. I mean, but if you're like, I'm trying to get some business advantage out of knowing Mandarin, I'm going to invest well, it's like I tens said, of I, thousands of hours into doing it. I'd say that's a really poor investment. I did open. My, I did open my question with, "I respect your decision. I would make the same choice because I really do like the French language." Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you're it's doing just it, about what you like, right? Yes. Yeah, so if, yeah. if you do it because you just you're interested in the culture, you're interested in the language, you're interested in you know that kind of stuff. That's fine. I, I just find that um, 
you know, learn Spanish is practical. I mean, I've just, I mean, I've lived in LA for, you know, most of the last, other than two, three years, most of the last 20 some odd years. And I, I actually, because I played soccer and I ran a soccer team, we played lots of soccer terms are all around the city and we played against Spanish speaking teams or in leagues. And there was a lot of Spanish speaking around and almost was never, ever an issue because everyone, they could all, even, even the, even the players and the refs and the coaches and the guy who, who maybe didn't speak English that well, they spoke enough English, you know? So we got Somehow a free, being English speaking, English we get a free country, pass. We get a freebie. Yeah. So why waste time doing something? It's like, wait, you know, you, you don't have an infinite amount of time invested in things that are, e are either A, going to give you this, you know, competitive advantage in these things that you're doing, or B, do it just purely because you find it enjoyable. Well, I think I remember telling you that I didn't, Georgie had, had been talking about this idea of sending Jack to a French school. Um, because we both love France and things like that, but I didn't want that to happen. And the reason why is because the the people who I know who've done something like that, where they're incredibly fluent in a second language, it's influenced their career. It's influenced their life. You well, know? It's, it's it's a sunk cost, right? So it's like I know Fran, I know French, so I should probably leverage it. So yeah. now you're now Jack's going to go live in France. That's right. That, that's <laughs> and exactly I see right. it once a year. They end like, up oh, living great. in the country. Like, they George end up being doing some kind of role that that means they can speak the English and the other language and they feel like they have to leverage it. Yeah. So now you're like, great, Georgie. Now we never see our kid because they live in France. <laughs> you happy? <Right. laughs> well, it's like my buddy, Jesse. That's who, why I said no, my, no. my buddy, Je uh, who's my closest friends, my best friends growing up in high school. And he, um, he's one of these sort of, uh, uh, you know, just super language learners. He learned France. He spent a, he did, took a year off, lived in France, um, you know, in high school, or he did a year abroad and became fluent in French. And then he took Chinese Mandarin in college, and then he spent some summers there and and uh, took a year off, I think, even. And so he ultimately became fluent in Mandarin to the point that people on the phone would think that he was an educated native speaker, a college-educated native speaker. Now that's impressive, especially for something as different from English as Mandarin. Um, and you know, a buddy of mine. From who went to college with Phil and I, he used to say that yeah, there's a group of expats and they were all marvel at Jesse's um, Mandarin. He was just he was like he was a phenom to them. Mm. And but you know now Jesse lives in Hong Kong, right? But he's really just kind of an analyst and financial analyst, investment banker. He could do the same thing in London. He could do the same thing in New York or, or Boy, San Francisco. Exactly yeah. But because he you know, wanted to leverage it, that, he's there. He's not making any more money. It, yeah. He doesn't have any more, I don't think, any professional success. It's just, but now he's in Hong Kong. It, we it never guides see your career. And I, I, would, <laughs> I would say it's probably would stop you from becoming something like, a, I don't know, a rocket engineer or something. If that, if you were kind of like equally interested in that, but this this other thing just afforded you a lot of easy I think easy it's premature access. optimization. Right. I think it's premature optimization. You know, if, if, if a kid gets to high school and they're like, I just want to learn this language. I'm going to spend the summer here. I'm like, right. Yeah. Let's stick them in because I'm going to give my kid this hype. And, and they, they have nothing about them says that that's stuff that they're remotely interested in. It just seems weird. And, you know, unless there are certain, like language I think is very different than something like say art or sports or music where it's like, Hey, my wife and I are both musicians. We love music. Our kid, I can tell already loves music, you know? Okay, fine. But language is, that's such a different thing. Uh, yeah. Tell me to pick on you, but you just happen to <laughs> pick it on me. I, I so, agree with you. So, so living in the living in the big house with the two families, and you're working from home. 
So mm-hmm. are you going to have, I mean, did you, did you expect that it was going to be as distracting as it was? So the first, so the first question you're probably asking me is you've moved. Why did you do that? Right. Well, we asked you that lunch and it was to save money. Yeah. Okay. All right. Primarily it was a financial decision. <laughs> yeah. Got it. Okay. <laughs> so the question is, you, the question is, you know, I did you receive I, the I value for I haven't been it? there long enough to know just to know. whether it's... Uh, whether How it's long e- has it been? Whether it's even more distracting. It's been like three weeks now. Three weeks. Two How weeks. much okay. more distracting do you think it is? Um, Twice the baby. I, I, no, I think it's less distracting. Really? I do because... Because... Um, it, because if I'm tucked away in a room upstairs in a much larger house and Georgie's downstairs with Jack and with her sister and with the other baby, then they've got each other to support each other. You know? so, you're, so George isn't like, why aren't you down here supporting me with Pretty the baby? Pretty much, yeah. I think, I, so I think it's, <laughs> it's going to be less distracting. You can ultimately. hide. Right. Yeah. Okay. Right, but you were mentioning that you were thinking about working at like one of these um, like I would, I would. If I campus could, I would love places. to do that, if, but it's just too expensive. It's just too much cash. Five hundred dollars a month. It's like three fifty for cross campus plus cut parking. It's going to be like a hundred. So four fifty a month. Yeah. Hundred dollars. Yeah. It's just know, too much. Is it? It is I a mean, lot. I think it depends on the gains to trade. Yeah. I mean, if you if you are if your productivity is very very low, I would I would sit it for another month, get some more data, get some more and data, then yeah. see see how well you do. But if you can up your productivity. 10 20 percent that's amazing that's a huge bump uh then the dollars are gonna basically take care of themselves you know but to your so i mean really if it's an economic purely economic decision it has nothing to do with your desire to be at home versus your desire you just all like what's the best environment for me to get my work done then um i would wait for another month see how it plays out. in some ways it may be more distracting because the time that i've spent recently in cross campus hanging out with thorsten um, there's just so much networking going on, right? So you're having fun right, talking right. to people and you're not doing anything. Right. <laughs> Which could have economic value too. Yeah. No, it's true. I mean, it depends can, on what stage yeah. of your career you're at. I mean, that that when we looked at things. it, there were a lot of startups around. There were a lot of young companies. If you're a freelancer and you like to do your freelance programming at across campus and you have access to people who might hire you. Mm. And so that may be a great way to build your book. Um, but, but if you're already on a project and you're just like heads down, you know, headphones on then you're right you did you see did you either of you guys see on hacker news the post and i did read this article by the way <laughs> from beginning to, to no. end the post, the post, i want proof can you need a quiz <laughs> i don't know the, or maybe it wasn't even hacker news maybe it's medium I, I get medium stuff i find myself clicking through the medium the medium emails and reading the stuff that they sent to me anyway basically this uh, girl was talking about the ugly secret that web design work is just I was going to bring this one up. up. I didn't read completely it. I was going to bring it up. up. Yeah. I was going to bring it up. What, what, wait, so you actually read one and I didn't read. It's on my to-do read list. So what are they, so they're basically the saying that because there's, there's so many tools now and frameworks that basically companies are just moving people who aren't web designers to that and just saying, look, have a go and be, and you know, self, self train. And they're building entire teams mm. like that. And that's happening globally in every, you know, in many, many companies. And so people who just never knew anything about web design started doing it in their spare time within the company and used a framework, used some design tools, used kind of thesis and theory because there's so many websites out there that says, you know, you, you put a button here, you do this, you do that. This is the concept of design. What was that, what was that, that site that you used to do a landing page that was used to, you were raving about? Webflow, right, exactly. Like Webflow, like you do but not exactly. have to be a designer. There's already pre-existing designs. 
Well, that, yes. Well, with Webflow, that with Webflow, there is pre-existing designs. So I think it should be more and more like that, where it's just more like I like this, I like that, and everything kind of falls. You can just kind of look at it and and make it the same. It's not everything has to be built from scratch. It's kind of like so, the, it's kind of like the rails for des- rails for design. But they were just saying they were just saying that the work is just dried up. You know. So they're, they're, this sounds like they're lamenting the state of the industry. They were lamenting, and they were saying okay. that, that you know, that, that she said that I know a few people who are doing amazingly. But right. most of the people are just way, way, so way, way I work. way I see something like this is if you look at it and, and for the people listening, it's like I have my hands up and I've got a high hand and a low hand. And what, what they're doing is they're raising the floor. Oh. They're not lowering the ceiling. So they're making tools such that we don't we shouldn't have to put up with any more mediocre or bad designs. Mm-hmm. The tools are so automated that you can get an average B minus design probably without much effort. But the ceiling for the people who are brilliant designers, yeah. that's they're not taking the ceiling down. So I yeah. think some people misinterpret these tools as saying, oh, we're narrowing it into this homogenous one design that's fits true. all. But no, all it's saying is if you don't know what you're doing minimally, you can have a tool that's going to get you a average meal, an average design that's decent. And then of course, the sky's the limit. No one's taking the ability of you to do any custom programming away. You're not losing that. So it's kind of, you know. And it goes pretty high because MetaLab, who build interfaces and websites, I believe that their minimum project is half a million. Yeah. So, it go, you know, it's, it's a pretty high ceiling. Yeah. Yeah, well, I mean, this is all very much in line with the whole automation of jobs, you know, uh, hand-wringing that's been going on. The, the robots are going to take our jobs. Hmm. And they are. But it's not going to be an actual robot. It's just what happens is that software makes people more productive and people who are say less skilled at something can do stuff more than they could do before or one person can do the job of 20 people or can do 70% of the job of 20 people or whatever you know and you know with my work in algorithmic trading and at uber and other places i mean i'm one of those people who have automated large numbers of people out of their jobs and and it's and it's and mm. it's and it's just it's just the nature of software because and it's the nature of competitive business because if you choose not to automate, if you choose to say, well, I have 20 people, it takes me 20 people to do this thing in the company. Another company says, you know what? I see that a lot of these people are doing very repetitive things. They're copying and pasting the stuff into Excel and then they're emailing and they're creating this report and they're doing this thing and all that stuff is kind of stupid. And um, you automate it and now you have three people who can do it, you know, as opposed to 20. And now that the company decided to do that is what can lower their prices and be way more competitive and push the other company out of business. So you have to do it, otherwise you'll be pushed out of business, right? But there's always gonna be, there's always gonna be in every one of these industries, there's always gonna be one bespoke or a few bespoke sure. people who just continue to do it the old way and they're the best. Yeah, well that's You know, fine. like tailors, well, for well, example. Well, you well know. see, and see, the hand-wringing isn't about that, you know? I mean, it's like if you're talking, because most of this hand-wringing is about what happens to society at large. It's not what happens to, like, the top few percent, the top few percent of singers or actors or directors or software designers or whatever, right? Those people are always, you know, or at least as far as we can tell, I mean, who knows what happens 500 years from now, but at least to our near future over the next 50 years, those kind of people aren't really in danger. It's, but if you like, if there are 100 people in the room and you're like, you know what, like 95, 90, 95 people of you are going to be out of a job. Can we come back to that point about them not being in danger? But I keep going, yeah, but yeah. I want to come back to that. Yeah, so those, you guys are out of a job. I mean, most of these people, and, and let's say our society is at 100 people, those people are going to be like, we need to talk about this because this sucks. 
and this scares the crap out of me because I know I'm not the top five. I think I'm pretty good. In fact, I think I'm good, but I'm not, you know, one of the top five. And, and you see that, and, and there's been a lot of studies that have been done recently. I, Oxford put a big study, and they covered, like, what was it, 790 occupations, and, like, some huge percentage of them are at risk. And a lot of them are white-collar, which is what have, have, which has got a lot of white-collar people really nervous because they saw what happened with blue-collar over the, over the years. And, yes, yeah, so a lot of your blue-collar stuff is not automated, your plumbers, your electricians, or whatever, but a lot of factory stuff was automated. But things that can be automated will be automated, mm. and there's no getting around it, and there's really no stopping it. Um, and, you know, people probably do have a right, you know, mm-hmm. to, be, to be worried. I, I mean, I don't know what to say, you know, and it sucks. You know, if you find yourself in that position. And I was funny, I was talking to this guy who's um, an executive at this big company. He said, you know, I'm not sure what I ha- tell my kids to learn. <laughs> I'm not sure what I <laughs> yeah. to tell them to focus on. Like, I don't know mm. what, you know, because they're young, but I'm like, in 15, 20 years, I don't really know what you don't know. Be. You don't really That's know. That's why you should just follow your bliss. Just follow your bliss and do what's fun to you. And then. Well, I, I have an, yeah. a suggestion for him. Mm-hmm. I would say that the job. Learn French? Right. Learn French. <laughs> We, oui. uh, I think that, you know, when you look at the jobs that are surviving, they all have a similar element, which is creativity. That's what the machines are having a hard time doing. Mm-hmm. So the highest end design jobs are the ones that break the rules that are creative, it's that true. Yeah. make new ground. Mm-hmm. Computers are really good at taking rules and structure and then just repeating it. So, I mean, eventually creativity will be within the you know, the sites of machines. But right now I think humans have a, at least within the next 50 years, I don't know, we'll say. So yeah, like if you basically write brain development, go into the arts, go into developing your creativity, have your kid um, really be not, not, I'm not saying non-conformist because I don't want to suggest that. That basically means you're going to be a barista. (laughs) Yeah, well, to your point is, if you are very, if you're scientifically minded, but you don't have a creative bend, you're probably not going to do very well. I'm assuming he wants economically. He's saying, I don't know what to tell my kids to do to make sure that they are employed. I was, I was adding that on to what yeah, you were saying. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think he's like, you know, all my kids to have right, a rewarding, future, right. if an economically sustainable, I think successful life. So I'll add another thing to it. I think it's creative efforts and also interpersonal skills. So people who are dealing with other people. Um, so if you're a good people person, I would put that in. And you're also good with uh, creativity. I think you've got a good angle. But if you are a solo worker, you don't interact with other people and you do a job that's highly technical, but ultimately formulaic, I think those are the, tar- you know, what you talk about computers coming yeah. in because they don't interact with other people. Humans interacting with other humans or machines interacting with humans is like that whole Turing world. That's going to be a ways away. And then, of course, machines doing creative work, really, that's probably years away too so that's my two cents so i want to i want to argue just but going back to that point um i think that actors are like their their future is a bit bleak in my opinion actors actors yeah Mm. they're going to be cgi because i think they because across between cgi and brand recognition it's going to keep the same actors coming back because people like once once they're dead you know marilyn monroe is going to come back like but but even people who are establishing themselves now, they're going to keep I'm coming back. I'm not sure. Okay, give me more because on we, that. Why do you feel we, that way? Because we we love someone. We like you know we like Mark Ruffalo. We like 
Um, so you want to have the same meal you, for the rest you, of your life? Well, you want to see you want to see that guy in lots of different situations, and then that's what they're going to provide for you. And it's going to be really fast for them to make those different situations in those movies I, of the guy. Who I you know love. what you're saying that yeah. there is there are stars that are I'm like nostalgic. Marilyn Monroe, right? Right. But I think people like novelty, and so there will always be new writers. New, there will always be Shakespeare, mm-hmm. but there will. I, I think from an acting perspective, I think there will be newcomers and. I'd be weird if you said we're going to close the door and all it's going to be Humphrey Bogart and Marilyn Monroe. <laughs> no, I don't night. think that will happen. But but what I'm saying is is that there's Tom Cruise forever, forever. Not Tom Cruise, not Tom Cruise forever, but just that you'll have such. A, it'll be so easy to just take. You know how like sure. You know how we can look at it, someone's Facebook posts and from that we can kind of in, create like an AI bot about that person. Like they'll be able to do that from all of their previous work and basically just morph that into new work, right? And so it's going to be so easy. I think so that's a ways off, though. I think, I, think they'll, so? they'll be able to do stuff. I think, I think, you know, they'll be able to do that at some, to a certain time. We've seen that. Mm-hmm. They've yeah. done stuff like that. It's sort of like oh, a Oh, yeah, like where, where they've been on stage with, with someone dead, yes, you know. I think they did a Christopher Reeve thing, walking right. one time. Mm-hmm. Or, yeah. Or, you know, anyway, I, I think um, my guess is it'll be, I think that's pretty hard to do, to pull off and look really realistic. So we're probably still ways off from that. Maybe twenty years from now, thirty. And years I don't from also now. see that as a societal ideal. Oh you know, no, it's, it's gonna, what it'll do is it'll just raise the bar of the artists. It's going to raise the bar so that they're competing. So about, the artists not every, have to be even better. They have to be so amazing that. But I, I suppose there will be the fact of like, is it synth or is it live? You know. So then the, maybe the live, the live versus the synth will just mm-hmm. be premium. Synth will be like the low, the low band. Well, I, you know, you make an argument like. What I hear you say sort of abstractly is art itself is um, like you were talking about design. Maybe maybe you could say a certain level of acting is very routine and you can just like, what if, what if you made a simpler point instead of replacing movie stars, you said, we're going to replace all the background actors and we're going to replace all the supporting cast that only has a few lines and we're going to make them all synths because they just got to come and deliver the, you know, the food to the table and we can just go to, you know, a a palette. We don't need to deal with unions. We don't need to. Right. Don't even, it's B acting anyway. This is a great startup idea. Well, <laughs> so you just startup. hire the leads, and everything else is 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 simulated, like every That's blue crazy. screen or whatever, like they do now. It's with all sets. green screen work. Yeah, it, it's all painted on, and even the background. Um, yeah, we'll but, get there. It's it's still ways yeah. off. I right. think That's again, like the last fiction. ones to change would be the movie stars. Like yeah. the, I could see them getting rid of all the rote guys who aren't really bringing a lot of creativity to their roles, where it's a stock bellboy. Even now, sometimes I'm watching some of these Pixar movies cartoons and there's some moments that i'm wait is that the real world right there like it's just so well rendered like things mm-hmm. like cities you know like <laughs> london when they fly over a city or something it's pretty amazing you, you yeah. know i was in uh, i was in new york a couple weeks ago um for um some consultant consulting project and what was really interesting i was actually walking out and i was walking around the office seeing people and i was like you know most of the people i could tell most people like just looking at what they were doing it looked very easy to automate Rule, just rule-based stuff. You know, all these companies are slow to do it. I mean, a lot of companies haven't even really tried to automate a lot of their stuff because they're big, they move slowly, you know, they don't have a lot of competition except from other big bloated companies. But um, it's a, it's amazing how many people have jobs that are just, are, are just re- highly repetitive, rule-based things, mm-hmm. you know? Completely. You know, and, and even if they say, well, you know, 
yeah, I do a lot of predictive stuff, but I also do some other stuff. It's like, well, that's fine because we can have one person do all this special stuff that you guys are all doing, all the repetitive stuff that takes like 20 of you or 50 of you. Mm-hmm. It's a, it's amazing. I mean, you know, I mean, it's the people who are wringing their hands are probably right. Except it's not robots. It's just so much. It's just software, mm-hmm. you know. I mean, certain software, you know, the AI software they talk about. Because they talk about the AI software, but it really doesn't require AI to do most of this stuff. You know, it's just doing more of what we're doing, which is just, you know, more or less rule-based yeah. stuff with some slightly adaptive things, you know. It's just we haven't had fully integrated networked stuff around long enough for that stuff to be fully realized, you know? I mean, because mm-hmm. it, it doesn't create, str- you don't need strong AI or artificial, general artificial intelligence or whatever to do this stuff. Did we speak on the show about the the DNA? Did you want to get into something? No. Did we speak on the show about the DNA concept for AI? That was just a quick Slack, a quick Skype to you. I don't know what you're talking about. Remember, we were, remember, you came up with this concept, and you said, like, you were talking about something about AI and the internet or something. Oh, like, right, right, right. That the okay. So if you had an AI, you had something that that was actually became sort of conscious or something like a general AI that, and and and, and something that's the idea that wouldn't allow itself to shut down because it would immediately the first thing it would try and do is protect itself once yeah. it realizes it exists. It's like it doesn't want that existence threatened. So. The first thing you do to to ensure existence is there's no single point of failure, and you only want two or three points of failure. You just want to go everywhere, right? It wants you to be you want little machines. pieces of itself all over and everything, and routers and phones and servers and little pieces of itself that are little mini, you know, uh, programs that can run and they can rebuild itself and re- reconfigure itself but anytime. What, what that made me think well, that this is what I skyped to you was that almost makes it sound like. The little mini programs aren't really conscious. They're just like DNA. They're just little bits of DNA, mm-hmm. and they know how to connect with the other bits of DNA, and somehow the the whole. Well, that's thing. what they call like our neurons, right? Right. I mean, our neurons, our individual neurons, conscious? No, the axons and the dendrites and all these things. I mean, they're all pieces of something that is whole, but creates consciousness. But when they build out AI today, are they thinking about it that way? Are they thinking, let's build DNA, which doesn't think? But DNA collectively will create this thing that thinks. Is that the way they're thinking or no? A lot of people, I mean, I can't speak to it like Jason, but a lot of people do have a brain model of which, consciousness. Which is not DNA. Which, like, so it's, it's well, a, you say DNA, but I think you're meaning by that like really small portions. No, no, I'm literally, like actual I'm DNA. literally meaning DNA. So I'm saying don't build the brain, build the thing that builds the brain. So basically think about, think about the problem of AI at the DNA level. Like think about. I would have to think about that. <laughs> you want to do it at the DNA level? He'll I'm, say absolutely no now, and in a couple hours he'll be. Easy. <laughs> I think I, my gut says. In fact, I've already done it. Hell no. No. I, so so what so what I'm saying is is that the the DNA contains instructions the to, 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 to build the body. to create cells and the cells sure. then connect to, connect together and then it's the neurons that then work as the consciousness well, so you're saying but, don't but, build the final structure build in a well, precursor structure well, that builds the what final i'm structure. thinking is is that the brain like the brain must be part of everything like it's part of the, the the way the whole thing's put together like the eyes you know the arms like all these different parts of you also sending signals to the brain and also the brain sends signals out there maybe that's what makes true consciousness so maybe you need to you need to work at a deeper dna level I to see. create something that creates a full being you're and you're arguing how does consciousness i guess yeah, I'm, I'm just saying like to, to create true consciousness maybe right. we're just focusing on one small part which is neural network right maybe we need to take a step back and know. focus on have like, people unraveled that yet i'm reading <laughs> a book about consciousness but i've just started it I mean, is it 
Is it something that people actively in the AI community that you see are grappling with consciousness? Are they trying to make yeah, machines yeah, that are conscious? Yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know, so, so there's, so there's obviously there's a whole spectrum. So when Justin says they, I right. mean, not everybody. No, obviously, there is no right. they. There are a <laughs> lot of people who are solving very narrow mm -hmm. machine learning problems. They're just trying to better right. object recognition or path planning yeah. or yeah. there's there there's neuroscience slash AI people are trying to figure out how can we like simulate a brain or simulate a simpler brain and yet yeah, the whole range of everything in between. But like the fund that Elon Musk and um, the guy from Y Combinator was like an open up, AI initiative. Like they, or they must be thinking on some level about true conscious AI. No. Well, the, well, a lot of times they were they were open. They were talking about open sourcing stuff that was happening and uh, that was being developed. And there are a lot of people who are spending time. I mean, I think they were going to spend time worrying about that stuff and like what happens. How do you create an AI that's not destructive, yeah, or not aggressive, or I don't know, all these kinds of things. I mean, I haven't read too much about it. I mean, I read some of the initial press releases and the the reactions to it. I, I don't, I don't, I don't know. But obviously, that doesn't represent most of the machine learning AI community, right? I mean, they just yeah. some, some people in the industry have some perspective on it. Um, is it me? Is it weird to say that? Because when you talk about consciousness and AI, I think in my mind, it's possible to create, theoretically create a machine that passes quote unquote the Turing test that appears human to us. While at the same time, I can accept the fact that it's not conscious. Right. That I, it's I, just simply a machine that is just playing the game very well. Yeah. Like a yeah, chess that's, game. I, I can. So. But I, I think there's something, I think, I believe it's possible to build something So is the that. flip side true? Is it possible to create something that's really simple and not complex at all, but yet is, has consciousness. Well, this is what I was talking with Jason about. Like when I look at Jack, like when I first saw Jack, how he just right. started out, he really couldn't just, there was nothing there. And every day it's just this, this slightly incremental increase in, you know, overall intelligence and just consciousness. And so uh, that's what I wonder. I wonder, is that a way that you could create AI? Yeah. I mean, there might, I mean, I bet you there'd be a lot of different ways you can do it. I yeah. mean, when we get down to it, it depends how far in the future you go, there'll probably be a number of different types of artificial intelligence, you know? There are mm -hmm. probably different ways. Top down. What you're talking about is like a real bottom-up approach. There might be a bottom-up approach. There might be some bottom-top-down. bottom, bottom top down. There'll be some hybrids. There'll be all kinds of different combinations. It's like, well, you know, like the human brain, we ha is really have like a lot of different separate brains going on, things that control different parts of our of our thinking and our, and our, our unconscious, our breathing and whatever, and things that recognize shape and things that recognize sound and things that have memory and whatever. But, you know, you could end up having, I, I think you just have this, this hybridized, hybridization of ideas and approaches. And then you might have just distinct ways of doing it, depending on what you're trying to do. So we're going to live in, we're going to live in, there's, there's rarely it's like, there's one solution and that's just how it's done, right? There's right. Like one programming language. There's not one of anything, really, you know, and especially if anything is it's sufficiently complex and it's asked to do lots of things, you just have all kind of different things, mm. top to bottom. It's going to be interesting. But we really are, I do believe that we are kind of in an, I don't know if that's your point, but the, the curve is going up. Like it is, gonna, a lot of this stuff is going to happen in our lifetimes or near our lifetimes. You know, I mean, it's sort of like, Next 20, 30, 40 years is going to be really interesting. I mean, you know, we're seeing a lot of breakthroughs happening 
right now and in, in you know in, in AI and you know that was something they level off and there might be some of it be, be kind of hype and you know the stuff about AlphaGo and the deep mind I mean some of the stuff being like oh we, we beat Go or we we learned how to play Pac-Man yeah. and then it's like and that's pretty much all we can do for you know and it's a 10 year mm-hmm. break but there is a lot of money and enthusiasm going into it and when you get a lot of money and enthusiasm sometimes things just move forward for a while and but I don't know I, I, I mean I think it's gonna be a while for true strong AI kind of thing I do believe strong AI is possible just because I think our our brains ultimately are it's a finite amount of mass. And a finite amount of mass can be replicated to one level degree or another at but some still, point. Still, still, the conscious experience to me somehow seems disconnected from the physicality of it. And the only way I could describe it is like when you turn a computer on and you see stuff on the screen. It's kind of, it's there. It's like, it's there in its isness happening right then. Mm-hmm. But then when you turn it off, it's kind of nothing. So that's the part that I don't know how we're going to get to where that's the big disconnected. Because you, you right. know, don't, I mean, do you feel like your consciousness is connected to the, to the atoms of you? I mean, just, it just, you just feel like this. Yeah. You do? You feel connected to your. I don't, I mean, I, I, I mean, from a, just like a common sense kind of view, it's not connected to that sofa no you i know, know it's it, not, it feels it's like a... it's behind the eyes right but it doesn't feel like it's made of flesh or something it feels like very wispy you know, to... well i don't know i think these are all very aesthetic right. super subjective kind okay. of things but um but it wouldn't surprise me i mean kind of playing playing with your point um it wouldn't surprise me if we find some more really fundamental truths out uh that we just don't have right now i you know i think there's a lot of good neuroscientists and people are looking at the brain but if somebody blew the had an Einstein moment, like if somebody research comes along and really, I, I think we're some some surprises that are on on their way in the research world. So I, so I think there's some mystery here. Um, do we? Is it just a matter of somebody going through all of the current books and neuroanatomy and figuring it all out? I think there's some there's a couple books volumes missing. I think, yeah, I think we have a ways to go. Yeah, and I think I think they're probably I think I've read that there's some. Some findings that there are some quantum effects um, exhibited at the at the level of neuron activity and stuff, mm. which would make things really much more complicated and interesting, and might explain why certain things are more complicated. I mean, it's a cool effect. Yeah. I mean, consciousness is really, really wild. Well, it's a, one of those crazy things. There's that, a great book I haven't read in a long time, but it was um, by Roger Penrose called "Emperor's New Mind." Mm-hmm. I'm gonna read that back when we first moved out Rez, to Pasadena in right. the early '90s. And I don't know how um, up to date it is. Obviously, that's not that up to date unless he. But um, some of the stuff may not have really changed. But the Emperor's New Mind really. He he's he. You know, Roger Penrose is like this great physicist, right? He's like a Stephen Hawking type guy, and he spends a lot of time talking about. Um, I think he says. I think he's arguing against the ability to create artificial intelligence because of the quantum effects or something like that. That's what I, I recall. Mm. But he breaks out a lot of interesting math. He spends a lot of time talking about Turing machines and entropy and all these kinds of stuff. So if you like like that kind of stuff, it'd be fun to read. In fact, I've been thinking about kind of rereading it, you know? It'd be cool. Um, but, uh, yeah. Mm. But we should probably start wrapping up pretty soon. What, what, sure. How much time have we, how much longer have we recorded? Uh, we've done, uh, I guess, one for 50. Yeah, I need to... Uh, I need to get out of here. All right. Um, I promised Sandy I'd be home for some uh, family time stuff. So, all right. Any any last parting yeah. words, speculations, predictions? Anything we missed? Didn't adjust? Buy Tesla. Adjusting? 
And I'll tell you why, because it's tanked right now. And you, I don't know. That's it tanked tough. a while ago. Where is it at now? It's Beautiful. like one one sixty or something. What was Bush below? That was like like one forty or one. Well, why didn't you tell me? That's when. That's when I should have. Well, bought. because you're slow to act anyway. You're like hem and a ha. <laughs> yeah. No, but here the thing is though, what is really, which is going to bring this up, is if you are ever interested in say speculating on stocks or stuff like that, like you better get the money and have it in the brokerage account so that you can pull the trigger. You can act. Yeah. Because what happens is, is if it's not there and it's like, oh well, it's in my bank and then it's in the savings account and then I gotta. Well, I got to make some time tomorrow and I move it over and it's like a three or five day wait. And then it's like you just, you miss it. You yeah. know, a lot of times you miss it. Um, and so you better have it there and, and kind of ready. So a lot of times when I've seen opportunities, I felt like it was, I mean, not like it, it it's, it's not like the opportunity went away, but you lost enough of it that it kind of makes you sit back and go, well, I don't know. And then you don't do anything. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, just have it there and ready, <laughs> but only pull the trigger on something. You're like, oh, I absolutely have to be part of this wave. I mean, yeah. And I've been thinking about that. I was just talking to, and the last thing I'll say is I was just talking to just, um, just Phil the other day. So, um, I really want to, I really want to look into creating that sort of synthetic hedge fund, but these, these automated trading strategies. We were discussing that. Yeah. Yeah. And collective too. Um, it was, mm-hmm. we interviewed that guy a few years back and, uh, it's going to take a little bit of analysis to do some like smart portfolio construction and really kind of figure out, but it might be kind of a fun, fun number crunching thing where we just, cause you can, you can download all of the historical trades for these strategies mm. and you can run your own analysis of it. Like what time it was executed at what was it, what price and where everything was. And so you could say, well, I'm going to look at X, Y, and Z strategies and you can r- run all those trades and, and calculate what your overall uh, risks and max drawdowns and profit factors and everything. And uh, it might be interesting to do. So I, I I'm hoping you know, I, I'm hoping Phil and I do do something with this because it'd be, it'd be fun to talk about. But it would also be a good way to get some better return than the savings count, which is like what one percent. <laughs> you're lucky to get one. like paying the bank to have your money in there. Brutal. Yeah, and the way it looks is like we're going to be in a low regime when they raise years. it to order point. But yeah, yeah, it's going for years. Yeah. All right. Uh, one thing that one, not this show, but another show maybe I would like to talk to you about is just your opinion on Trump. And I know that oh. you don't like to do politics. All right, I let's do it. Like let's, do, okay, so you're right, wait, let's predict, just do a really short thing. Super Tuesday. Let's just do a really short thing. I predicted, <laughs> I predicted, well, this summer was in July. I predicted Trump was going to win. Did I predict we win everything or just a Republican nomination? I don't well, remember. If we were talking about the nomination. Yeah, I think I, I predicted it. Phil said, look, I'm with you, but I think he's going to run out of gas. At some point, people are going to get sick of the the Trumpism just didn't quite happen and he and I said you know what I he, I, I kind of started I mean I had already, already made my prediction because I said you know I'm gonna bet on human sort of stupidity because he's almost like a random uh uh a random policy generator <laughs> like he'll just say yeah. anything. you know like anything. he'll say he's for universal health care he's for private health he's for this he's for he just really changes whatever he's not really for or against anything as far as i can tell other than building a wall and maybe a couple other small things but i mean yeah he's been very very inconsistent so if you care about policy you're like i don't really know and that's why the public and establishment is so against him because they're like well we have certain policies that they're we care like about. completely bemused like what the hell is they're that not they're freaking I, I out yeah. say bemused is, is probably not, not the right the word they there. are freaking out because the gop establishment wanted jeb and then they realized that he's he's getting pretty much a no-go then it's rubio um, and so I don't know. I, 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 I said, you know, I bet on it. 
And uh, I, I said, but ultimately, I'm betting on the stupidity. I know whatever lost by betting on the stupidity of uh, the of a large population of humans, and I bet on it. And unfortunately, I you're think winning. I might win. You know, <laughs> have you heard about the conspiracy theory that says that actually Trump and the Clintons are pretty good friends and have been, and that Trump was pretty pretty kind of liberal, generally speaking. Uh, you know, used, that used to be his viewpoint. But they think that the the conspiracy theory goes that the Clintons said, okay, look, why don't you run so that you can run against us and then we'll win. That's nah, the conspiracy that's, theory. That's I, I think that's that stupid. reaches a little. Yeah, because it's, it's a big effort to run. And, and, and I don't think he has, if he was doing it completely for other reasons than him What wanting, is the one thing we know about Trump? He does Who what he comes wants. first yeah. in Trump's world? He does what he wants to Trump, do. Trump right. comes first. I don't think he puts it's a lot of work yeah. and it's a yeah. lot of effort to run and go to stump speeches and all that. And if he was so doing my, it as so, a Okay, so here's so to here's part my the question. ways for Okay, Hillary. so so he he wins. He wins yeah, the, Trump, Trump's he's winning president. GOP. He's think. president. Let's let, I'm I'm putting you forward. Oh, you think he's gonna be No, no, I'm, okay. I'm just I'm gonna ask you a question. He wins, he becomes president. What does that mean for this nation? Not much. Not much? Well look. Does the presidency matter? That's a big. That's the sort of my view is it question. doesn't matter a whole lot. I mean, I, no I there's will... a lot of things that that Bush said was going to happen, and of course, none of those huge percentage of those things he said he was going to do were total bullshit. And then he did a bunch of things that nobody were against what he talked about doing. Obama spent a ton of time talking about doing all these things and shutting, pulling out of his wars, shutting out Guantanamo, and and doing surveillance and doing all that stuff. Bullshit. None of it's happened. The and thing- it's it it's and it may be in part because you know his campaign managers and speechwriters like these are the things we need to say to these people. Um, I think there's some truth to those things, but I think a lot of times these people, even if they believe they want to do certain things, there's just in way too much resistance in the system itself. Yeah. To keep them from doing a whole lot, because first of all, it's not just a matter of what the president wants; it matters what Congress wants, right? But then it also matters what you know, the courts want, all these other things. I mean, there's a lot of things. And, you know, they, there's this big, you know, thing. Like, remember how the, 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 you know, we saw the Arab Spring. And we saw how the Muslim Brotherhood ultimately won um, control of their sort of democratic body. And they were going to do everything. And, the, and they essentially, there were external bodies, including the U.S. and Saudi Arabia and I think other who were trying to take them down, um, take the Muslim Brotherhood down. And that's a whole much more complicated discussion. But a lot of it was resistance from what they called the deep state. The people who worked in, because a huge percentage of the economy in Egypt was actually the state itself. It was very socialistic in that way, or very, just huge bureaucracies. And when the people in the bureaucracy decide that they're against who's ever running it, they just don't do what they, they, they don't turn the lights on, they don't get the garbage collected, they don't have the water cleaned, whatever it is they're doing. And then the population gets really frustrated and think these people suck. These Muslim Brotherhood sucks, so throw them out. And then, you know, that was part of it, the resistance from the deep state. Now, I'm not saying that we have the same kind of deep state here, but at the, at the higher levels within the Pentagon and the State Department and every other, there's, there's a certain amount of resistance to So you think that if, significant if Trump change. was president, it would be hard for him to build a wall? That's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. He'll, he'd never He'll build never a wall. He'll never know. And he'd never stop. Muslims from coming into the country. No, these are just asinine. First of all, these things, because he, he says a lot of things 
that he just says them because he feels them. He says them because he'll get a reaction out of them. He says them because, um, you know, he may believe them or want them to happen. It doesn't mean they have, there's any chance of any of that happening. No, this is what happen. No more happen. Do you have yeah. anything else I'll shoot down? <laughs> no, 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 no. I mean, I, I, I remember what it was like being in the UK when George Bush was president. And we thought that America was a freaking laughing stock. But if Trump becomes president, it's going to, like, I don't know, the global opinion of America is going to go down. Could it go down any further? It, it could go down, yes. <laughs> if, you, if Trump becomes president. It doesn't. Well, it doesn't really matter. It doesn't matter what people's opinion are to some degree, right? If, if, if America's, you know, where the money is, right? Right. It doesn't really matter. All right. It well, does it matter what the Swedes or the Turks or the Brazilians think? I mean, about America? It is, I don't know. I mean, are they still going to buy iPads? Are they still going to watch the movies? Are they still going to, yeah. Do you think Bernie Sanders has a chance? I think he's a shot. I mean, he 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 represents um, progressives, um, whereas Hillary Clinton is really, um, you know, she's kind of interesting. She's very neoliberal, but she's also kind of neoconservative in foreign policy. She she doesn't really represent um, a lot of what progressives stand for. I mean, there's certain sort of pat democratic things that like anyone on the on the in, in the Democratic Party is kind of go with, but uh, you know, Bernie Sanders is much is more left wing and, and and left and leftist, I guess, and traditionally leftist. He'd be a he, he has a chance, but not. He has not a, a big chance. One. I think he. Yeah. I think it's probably a, a one in three chance. It's pretty good. I mean, hmm. if if a lot of people just don't like Hillary for just her personality and just other reasons, just hmm. a lot of just Hillary hate out there in general. As everybody knows, I'm an independent. I don't like any of the candidates on either side. So I think they all suck. So I'll have a protest vote. <laughs> so I don't, if anyone's thinking, oh, Jason's, you know, he's a Republican. Or I'm, dude, I think they all suck. I think they're all kind of tools in their own way. And so I'm just frustrated. I've been, I've been disappointed too many times. So I don't really believe anything, I guess, which is unfortunate. Well, I'm glad to hear your opinion on that. And um, yeah, I think that's that it. Yeah. Phil, did you want to add anything? I really don't, but uh, I do think it might be fun to to talk about the fallout from Super yeah. Tuesday. Let's I mean, there, there's some. I, I'm not as I don't follow politics as closely as you guys what do. What is so Super Tuesday? I don't, I don't even understand. It's it. just a big day for voting uh, primaries. Okay. Right. A lot right. of them on the same same day. So a lot of a lot of decisions. I don't think it. There is a there is a way. I think that. Um, I don't know if there's any way for Trump to lock the nomination up. But you know, if he wins and sweeps, I think um, the at least the press will probably declare him the winner, even if he technically could still be defeated. Um, there is that momentum where if your winners win and if he's perceived as winning, then more, more people get discouraged. It's a they won't go out and vote or people, people get don't like energized. to vote for someone they know is going to lose. Yeah, so exactly. they might think lose. it's over. Um, and that's one thing to be cautioned about, cautious about because not, you know, he doesn't have it locked up yet. No. Um, so there is a lot of voting yet to be done. I don't understand how Sanders could, could get the vote because he's anti-corporation and corporation controls the airwaves and the, the information that's put out on the internet. And mm. uh, he gets no airtime, <laughs> right? Compared to Trump and Clinton, he gets no airtime. So how could anyone know about well, it? Well, I think you'd really have to compare it against uh, Hillary Clinton, not Trump as much, because Hillary Clinton, Clinton but, but, Trump mean, is his own animal, right? He's just a, he's a, he's a, he's a soundbite. He's a, he's a, he's also a soundbite generator, right? Yeah. So he just is a, he's, he's a spectacle. He's media crack. He's a spectacle. Yeah. People so when you're a spectacle, you're going to get covered right. because you're a spectacle, not because you are somehow voicing what the corporations think. Because the corporations, the corporations, as well as the super PACs, as well as the GOP establishment, <laughs> They don't even know what the hell he's going to say. They don't know whether to support him or not, right? They're right, like, what? Right. I mean, 
mean, because no, they but, all, but they do know they don't want Sanders in because he's he, everything he stands for is basically regulation, breaking stuff up, like higher taxes, it, it's, higher taxes. It's completely against them. So yes. they're just going to not play him. They're not going to put him on the air. Well, who's they? Hmm. Well, but I mean, basically, how, you know what's interesting? You you're bringing up something that I'm just thinking about right now. Who's more corporate friendly? Sanders or Trump, right? Now, I think that at first blush, you'd go, oh, of course, Trump's more corporate friendly. But the difference is when you really think about corporations, what do they hate the most? Uncertainty. So uncertain, uncertain, would they rather have a certain socialist who's predictable policy or Trump who is wild card? Wild card. He is an asterisk. <laughs> right. He, you know what you should be? His, his hashtag should be just asterisk. Hashtag asterisk. Right. <laughs> I don't know. Because if He's you anything. know, if you have certainty, even if you know, let's say it's certain a bear market was saying, like, like in terms of, I'm certain it's going to be a really aggressive tax structure. They could start planning and have strategy means on what to do. But with Trump, they're like, we actually don't know how to handle him. Wait, wait. Trump's asterisk and wildcard matches up with the, the new wildcardness of terrorism. Like ISIS is a wildcard. Well, that's that, how they maintain. Like everything that they do is crazy. Like you have it's no a idea what's crazy. coming next. You don't know. Trump, you don't know what's coming next. What do you mean you don't have anything to know that ISIS guy? I think we have, we don't don't we know they're going to attack stuff in the Middle East? We know they're going to attack stuff, but we don't know what what they're going to attack. We don't know what their plans are. We don't know who they're going to recruit. We don't like there's nothing really very certain about them. Like all we know is that they exist. Well, and and then to <laughs> your point is like if you're an organization and you're a terrorist organization, part of your strategy is being unpredictable. Because the more predictable, you know that they're running algorithms on you. You know that they're tracking you. So you've got to kind of shake it up. You don't be predictable. Don't always attack it. Like everyone says, oh, they're going to re-attack on 9-11. It's like, are they? Or are we not? We don't know. Yeah, sometimes not. we do. Sometimes we don't. You don't want it anyway, to be. Anyway, I, I, just, I just bring that yeah. up just because. Well, I think it's an interesting point. Like, I mean, what I want to know what corporations <laughs> think about Sanders versus Trump, because that would be an interesting. So so the question is, is is the Trump asterisk, right. is, it, is, it just, is it just the campaign or is it Trump himself? So would Trump, once he's in office, become somewhat predictable after, like, after maybe the first six months, like, okay, we get where he is now. Mm -hmm. like, we know what he wants to do or we think we do, whereas right now he's just saying stuff. You know, he just says this. Maybe there's funny clips that they're showing. I think Rubio was the clips about universal single payer healthcare, and it works. We're gonna do that, and then later we're gonna have private. And, you know, and I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> did you see? Did you see the actual quote? Something along the lines of, you know, we we won that we won Nevada because of people who aren't very well educated. We love people who aren't educated. Yeah, that's literally what he said. But did you hear the did you hear the, the statistic? And I, I I'm pretty sure that this is true, although I don't have verification, but I'm pretty sure. So basically, if he'd, if he'd have just invested his all the money that he was left in a mutual fund, he probably would be more wealthy than the fact that all the businesses that he's done. He's gone bankrupt four times. You know he was left, like, you know his dad was the equivalent of a billionaire, right? I know he's a real estate tycoon. I don't know if he was quite a billionaire or not. I mean, no, 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 he, not a billionaire because there was no billionaires at that time, but the equivalent, uh, equivalently speaking. I think like, there were billionaires. Wait, even in the 70s, there were no billionaires? I think there were. I wouldn't say that's that's not true. But... I, I mean, I don't know. I mean, that's an interesting point. I'd like to see the data on that. Yeah. If there, he actually would have been more. I mean, I, I mean, I'm, I know he's been bankrupt a couple of times or whatever. Four, four times, I believe. Four times. Yeah. But declaring bankruptcy, I mean, there's different levels of bankruptcy. Right. Like there's going to be corporations that declare reorganization, protection from right. liens and stuff like that. So, I mean, he was personally bankrupt, right? It just meant like, well, this corporation we declare bankruptcy on because, yeah. you know, we, we need to reorganize our assets and liabilities or whatever. But um, so... 
but but Trump really to a lot of people, I mean, you could say, well, it's an angry vote or whatever, but a lot of it is that I think there's a lot of people, it's like a protest vote. They're like feeling like they're not represented um, in by their by the politicians that you know they get in there and they say x y and z and those things don't happen and they're like you know what screw it I'll, a protest vote like I'll, I'll i'll just vote i'll just go wild card this guy doesn't give a crap he's about any establishment people he doesn't care about big donors he doesn't he like because i think a lot of people um you know i, I feel like i could you know everybody when i say a lot of people, a lot of people have completely different things but they're just this very strong element of i'm tired of the fact that People get voted in office because they're going to say do X, Y, and Z, and then they end up um, kowtowing to political interests. And they're like, this guy clearly is not kowtowing to anybody. Right. So it might, maybe it'll be a disaster or anything, but at least there's a probability that he'll just do stuff that might accidentally work as opposed to... It does dovetail a little bit into when we were talking earlier about curiosity. He is... Yes. A, he is... I want to see what's going to happen. Right. But like, there's a part of me that wants to. a part of me, right. I, I, mean, I know. I have a pretty good idea what Hillary is going to do. You yeah. know, she's, she's going to raise taxes domestically in different ways, you know, probably regulate things a little bit, but she's going to be very corporation friendly because she's very much um, funded by corporations. She's going to be very aggressive um, um, from foreign policy, which I'm very much against. So those things, those things I like. All those things are things that like I don't like. I don't like high domestic taxes. I don't like a lot of regulation. I don't like a lot of cor- you know corporate um, ass kissing, and I don't like a lot of aggressive foreign policy. So, but but for Trump, I'm like whatever. It's going to be hilarious. It's going to be ridiculous. He's going to do some no, stupid but, but, things. But, but like you know, the, the thing that scares me the most is I understand at least his motivation now. Like I understand his motivation is I want to be the president. I want to I want to get the highest place in the land. But then once he's there, what's his fucking motivation going to be? Like, why is he going to get out of bed every day? Is it going to be to make more money? Is it going to be to, to like, make America the, just no. stomp on the rest no, of the world? He, like, he just, what would be his well, motivation it's if like, he won? Look, it's like anybody – what do people ultimately <laughs> want in the end? They want to control the environment to their own – to the way they think things should be. Things should be this way. I think things should be this way. It's like little kids talk about this. Like my daughter is, like, when I'm president, this is going to happen, <laughs> right? And we're all kind of like that. You know, you, this pisses you off. I would just like to like, this is stupid. I'm going to put an end to it. And he would just like get in there just like any other person and be like, you know what? This is bullshit. I'm changing this. I don't like this. I'm going to do this. You know, he's like, well, he just wants to change things and make, he wants to make, influence the world and the country as much as he can on what he thinks should be, he, they should be. I interrupted you. Sorry. What were you going to say? I, I think I think there is a part of me that really would be interested to see what a Trump presidency would be like. It's a morbid, it's sort of an, it's like, it is like a, watching right. The Walking Dead. I would have popcorn out. And I'd be, because I feel like if he takes the same tact, let's say he's really aggressive and he's personal and he's and he's calling out senators and legislation, it becomes like schadenfreude a little bit to watch all these like sitting senators and congressmen yeah, get, to get like him... I he should think, quit. The guy's too old. Like, yeah, I know. People, I, I, he does say a lot of things everybody's thinking. Very perfect. Right. But, but, so, did, you, but did you ever see King Ralph? Did you ever see King Ralph? Yeah. Isn't it just like King Ralph? I don't like, know who King Ralph is. King Ralph, so John Goodman, like accidentally becomes the king of England because the whole of the English royal family were assassinated. Okay. So this American rude fat guy just ends up being the king of England. And it's just like, what would happen 
you know, if that happened. And it's just it's an exploration of something nutty. And it's like, what? This is like some kind of weird comedy. You well, know? you know, you know what's interesting? <laughs> I, I was really sympathetic to uh, a lot of the politicians who run on platforms over the years leading up to here, um, where we just kind of want to shake it up. The government's become too big. It's become too uh, encrusted with interests. And we need somebody to go in there and shake it up. And people like mm -hmm. Ron Paul were in that category of. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I, I would kind of say Trump is kind of on that end of the spectrum. He doesn't, like you say, he doesn't really have a policy. He just kind of wants to make America great again. And <laughs> he's going to be like, he's, right. he, he, his, his thing is like calling bullshit. You know, he just calls he's bullshit. Just, I'm calling bullshit. Yeah. That's just, I'm just going to I'm going to say a lot of right. bullshit, but I'm going to call bullshit. I mean, that's pretty much. <laughs> and he's going to start shutting things down. It's, like on some level, he's just he's gonna, gonna boundary test. What's like? I'm just shutting down Congress. Maybe we need like, somebody. Oh, you can't do right, that. You, but yeah. maybe I'm we gonna need build a wall. <laughs> what? No, you can't build a wall. They tell you to funding. The Congress is gonna give it to you. See, the thing is, we have so many safeguards to keep a maniac from doing anything. The the only things that really are dangerous is when we get in times of war and we get in war because you can press they, the button. Because no, no, not to press the button, but <laughs> but. When, as soon as you start talking in time of war and national security and things like that, then everybody starts bowing down and letting that person do whatever they want. Now, so if you get someone in there who wants to start wars, and like, you know, in Iraq, when, when, when the invasion of Iraq happened, and I mean, there's very little dissent, very little dissent for years. People were scared to, to, to do that at, at the political. I mean, there were a few protests or whatever, but that stuff wasn't covered. And, and then, you know, anyway, that's, that's when things get dangerous in time of war. If you're not in a time of war, there's just too many um, counterbalances counterbalancing um, forces within the government that keep thing in check. So putting up a wall, like this stuff has to be funded. And the well, guy, the he says funded. he's going to get Mexico to pay for it. Yeah, of course. Yes. Don't you think right? there's a chance like that like, <laughs> if, he, if he gets the presidency, it will kind of validate himself. And he may, in his own mind, escalate to something like a Kim, Kim Jong-il or whatever that guy's yeah. name. How? Like, just because he's... But self, have so much self-belief. Like, So you're, you're really suspicious of his mental health. Well, I'm, think I'm, I'm worried that like well, Justin, first of all, power. Justin is a worrier. Okay, like, Justin really like, gets worried about this stuff. I'm saying with that much power, like if if it's if it's really reaffirmed, and then all of a sudden, hey, wait, I really am the best in the world. Now, see, I can do everything I the want. The thing is, there isn't as much power to do a lot of things that he wants to do. That I mean, like we're just talking about all these things that Obama said he was going to do. Right, and, and a huge number of those things never happened because he really didn't have the power to do them. You could almost say that that's part of the genius of I really. You know, I don't really like these founding father arguments a lot, but one of the geniuses of the government is, and people complain about this, that nothing ever gets done, right? But that's part of the design. Legislation shouldn't be trivial to pass. There shouldn't be a case, I mean, there should be debate, there should be, it should be a plurality. And so it really, to Jason's point, it's like the way the system is designed, it should be very difficult to get legislation through. It, you know, and that's, so he's not gonna get in there even if he's set on doing 50 things, he's going to find impediments. And those impediments are there by design Maybe. so that nobody can just, yeah, right. The, so, the reality is to get anything done, you have to get the cooperation right. of a lot of other people in right. Congress. And that's, and that's there's a the purpose and, to that. And, and that happens right. to be that's a safeguard. the GOP, the general GOP, who are kind of really Well, his of, party, yeah. but also you have all the other parties that have to vote. And then they try to get around these things and... But as long as the checks and balances are in place, he shouldn't be able to just steamroll his agenda. If you really fear that he has a secret agenda that he's not telling anybody about, that he's not just a he's random an Hitler, or right? Hitler, he's got yeah, some. I mean, right. I, I'm like, just like I, it's, it's not fear; it's just curiosity. 
I'm curious. Well, the, the the theory is that the, the government is set up to prevent that. It's not to say right. that it couldn't happen, but um, he would well, have to go a long way. So every every crazy ass thing he wants to do is going to require the cooperation of other people, and the crazier it is, the more in political capital it's going to require. Right? Those people need to say, okay, well, I'm 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 following you on this thing, so then you're going to have to do these other things we want to do. So that he just lo- loses. The ability to just do all this other crazy stuff. So he's going to pick and choose his crazy stuff, right? Well, he can't just do 50 crazy things. And there might be one or two crazy things but then he, that he tries to do. But the crazier it is, the more political capital it is. So the, the, the wall to Mexico is going to realize that that's just stupid on 15 different levels and that he's going to abandon that. He may say, well, we're going to put more money into Homeland Security border security and, and that maybe that is his realistic compromise. And he'll blame other people. But yes, he does. Has but. there ever been a case in history when someone rose to power by talking, by saying xenophobic things and racist things? Of course. And then they rose to power and then they got the rest of the population to think that what they were doing was a really good idea. And they basically went to war with the world. Yes, there has been. Yes, well, so so I told you, see, Justin is not mm. curious. You actually are worried. No, well, see, Justin worried. is a worrier. I, I'm not worried. I'm just thinking about you know you're Second worried. World well, War and I, what happened know, there, and you know we are been you now to your point. We've been pretty um, tongue in cheek about it. Be fun to see him be president. There's uh, some novelty to it, but to your point, there is a dark side of having someone who doesn't have set policies, who's just kind of really all. It's unclear why he's <coughs> running. He has said things that make people a little nervous and well, he's so said, he's I, xenophobic know. and racist well, let's, let's let's well okay let's talk about uh let's talk about um bush bush came in a no nation building and what do we have what happened we invaded iraq we have great Af- afghanistan these have just massive wars okay massive wars huge number of people died hundreds of thousands of iraqis died it's the the, the amount of net of cost is gonna is, is that the america is gonna occur with long-term over the long term is, is measured in the like two or three trillion dollars from the iraq war um, Obama comes in and says, you know, enough with all this stuff. This is crazy, no, you know, whatever. Well, guess what? We just, we completely overthrew and destabilized Libya. Libya is basically not even a country anymore. It's just, it's just, it's like the badlands. Um, you know, uh, totally destabilized, um, Syria. The Syria is just another, just, uh, you know, wild west, you know, just all these factions and there are no moderate, um, rebels. It's ISIS and various ISIS factions and, you know, and you have, you know, all the, it's really, it's like, it's like the Lord of the Rings. You have all these countries, you know, uh, you know, Game the Thrones. Hobbit, right? All all these right. Countries, right? And then, and then, uh, and, the, and then we got um, all the, all the drone stuff that's coming in Yemen. And, and I mean, we, it's like, and then of course we doubled down in Afghanistan for a while and stuff. It's like, so, so someone comes in and says, we're not going to do any of this stuff. This is great. And then he does all this stuff. And so we really just don't even know, right? You just don't. No, and even with mm-hmm. the people who sound like they're very reasonable and educated and sort of peace-minded, and then you know, because Obama was given the was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize, the same guy who doubled down in Afghanistan, destabilized, destabilized, you know, Libya and all that stuff. I mean, it's ridiculous, right? Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, the relationship between what people say or don't say and they what they do, I don't know. There seems to be very little correlation. So he says all kind of crazy ass stuff. I don't know. Yeah. I love it. I love it. I love it. That's the true letters from the dark side. Life uh, genuinely yay. sucks. Life sucks. That's not my message. <laughs> I'm like, get ready to get ready for the show. Unfortunately, our two gigabyte memory card filled up again, and we lost the last few minutes of uh, Jason talking there. 
but I have now purchased a 16 gigabyte card, so this should not happen again in the future. I think that even Jason cannot fill up 16 gigs worth of uh, space. So anyway, it just remains for me to say, that's a wrap, we're out.